What up, y'all? This is Alex Clark Youngblood. On today's episode, we have my very good friend, Hunter Brinkman. Hunter and I have known each other since kindergarten. Uh, we really became best friends in, in late elementary school, fourth and fifth grade, and we were virtually inseparable all through our childhood and adolescence through high school. We ended up going our separate ways in college, which was kind of a dramatic story that we get into here in the interview, but I will always consider this man a brother. This is the first person... Uh, non-family member of mine who I who I considered a family member. I, I I love him like a family member. I love him like a brother, and I always will. And those are the people um, I'm going to be interviewing, or the interviews I will be posting um, uh, during these next several episodes are the are the non-family members of mine who I consider to be family that I love like family. I'm just moving chronologically through my life, uh, interviewing the people I love, starting with you know my mom and. And, and dad and, and siblings and now I'm getting into my best friends throughout life and the people that I, I, I care about very deeply and I'm just trying to move chronologically uh, through my life with these interviews. I recorded this interview and most of these interviews back in 2018 when I went on a podcast interview tour when I was kind of launching this project. Um, I you know left my job and apartment I had in DC and just uh, barked on a little tour across the country. Went from DC to Chicago back home to Atlanta, off to Louisiana, where my dad's side of my family is from. And then I went back to Atlanta to record this interview uh, with Hunter. We recorded this interview actually in my mom's basement in, in Atlanta, a place where Hunter and I spent a, a bunch of time together throughout our <laughs> throughout our childhood. Uh, and then from there, I went up the East Coast. And so the next, after this, this Hunter interview over the next several weeks is me moving up the, the East Coast interviewing... Uh, friends of mine that that live dotted along along the east coast up through the carolinas and you know all the way up the east coast of maine actually um so yeah these next several interviews starting with hunter will be uh well non-family members for the first time uh my closest friends so uh oh real quick point of clarification um at some point i referenced the young blood university i referenced the name of the podcast as young blood university um when i was first uh recording these interviews i thought that was going to be the name of the podcast young blood university and i talk about how i like the acronym yu as if it you know asking that as a question why you question mark young blood university why you um but ultimately uh, i overthought it and went with alex clark Youngblood. it just seemed like the simplest the simplest name for the podcast um Youngwood University, I was I was concerned might have some sort of higher education context, or you know might be associated with college sports. I was probably thinking about it too much, but just went with uh, the Alex Clark Youngwood podcast ultimately. But if, when you hear me reference Youngwood University, that's I'm re- what I'm referring to. I was touring around with with that name for a minute. Anyway, um, here's Hunter. This is I want it that way. Tell me why ain't nothing but a That's good. You're good. Just like that? Yeah, it's on high. You can just talk normal. You'll be fine. There's no background noise here. All right. Hunter Brinkman, let's start with your life story. Just tell us where... Just give us a backstory. Where are you from? Where were you born? When were you born? You're recording? Yeah. So, I was born in New Orleans... When I was two, my dad took a job in Boston with a company called Broderbund, and then we moved there, and I was there for two years. I have very few memories of Boston. Um, 
from there we moved to Atlanta when I was four years old uh, where I've lived ever since then right up to the present day at age 30 um, backstory beyond that uh, I had a really great childhood with my um, family and friends including yourself mm -hmm. um, which was really great I feel like it shaped me as a person that I am currently. Where did you grow up? Like, describe where you grew up. Grew up in an idyllic community called Roswell, Georgia, uh, a suburb of Atlanta. Um, Do you remember how old you were when you all moved here from Boston? Four. Four. Okay. Yeah, so lived here for 26 years, and then when I was 18 years old, moved from Roswell into the city of Atlanta for college at Georgia Tech, and I've lived here ever since then. And then we met each other for that. We're in Mr. Miss Robux class in kindergarten, right? That's when we first met each other. Yes. Okay. But we weren't really close friends to like fourth or fifth grade. I think f I would say that we became really close friends in fifth grade uh -huh. when we both played. This is my interpretation of events, but mm -hmm. I would say we became really close friends in fifth grade when we played select soccer together mm -hmm. on Coach Diego's team. Yeah, I remember us being friends. I remember sitting. I remember you being in my kindergarten class, but we weren't like good friends. First, second, third grade. My closest friend back then was a guy named Patrick, um, but that was just because he lived in my street. And then, yeah, fourth grade. I remember sitting next to you in Miss uh, whatever the honors language arts classes we were in. I remember sitting next to you. I remember that being like black lady. She had like braids. Oh, Miss Onuma's. Onuma, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember we sat next to each other there and being like, oh, okay, this 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 relationship's probably going somewhere. But then, yeah, we really became good friends when we both made the select soccer team because that became like our lives. And we're going to get into that in a second. Before we get into that, tell us about your family. What's your family structure? My family structure is I'm the oldest of four. Uh, we're all about five years apart. I have two younger brothers and a sister, and we're 14 years apart, almost 15. Um and two heterosexual parents, <laughs> Brian and Sherry. Um, so very, I don't know how you'd say it, like very stereotypical kind of nuclear family, uh, very Catholic with four unplanned Sorry. children. So that's why we're all about five years apart. Um, that's the structure my dad worked and my mom was a stay-at-home mom who cooked and cleaned and ran the household and um again i i guess running theme for me would be like very idyllic childhood um two great parents and um yeah the only thing like uh that always struck me about uh your family structures that it was so crazy to me that you had your sister was born when we were in high school that yeah, that was crazy for me, too. Um, <laughs> it's funny because I always tell, like, when people talk about, like, oh, having kids or anything, or as, like, I feel like I kind of, in a weird sense, almost, like, went through it as, like, being 15 and having, like, an infant in the house. You had uh -huh. a, like, room right next to mine. It was, like... Like when she, I be like, oh, I don't sleep at all, and I like think back to like I didn't really think anything of it at the time, of being like fifteen and never sleeping because I was like wake up in the middle of the night every night with like a crying baby. So that was yeah, that was very strange to have a 
a sibling that far apart. Yeah, I remember that being. It was weird. It was cool because it was uh, it was a unique experience. Like none of my other friends were having like infants in their house when we were you know starting to like date girls. Uh, but Which yeah, didn't happen. Like, at all. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that too. This is yeah revisionist history of the <laughs> <laughs> scoring touchdowns. Yeah. <laughs> and the baby sister cheering me on from the stand. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Those were the good days. Uh, <laughs> I can remember seeing her and that was her carrying me off the field yeah. on their shoulders. Yeah, they never did that before <laughs> for anyone. I remember that. <laughs> um, all right, so then let's get into like when we started uh, being good friends. You, you, you alluded to earlier. As I around fifth grade, we had it was the end of fifth grade, really. But we were good friends in fifth grade before like the whole soccer. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because because I feel like that was the first time when we had all the classes together. Yeah, fifth grade year. Was when we were doing, like, tag, and then we had, like, each one of those, like, Mr. Irving's class and the Smith's class. Yeah, we were switching. Yeah. Because we were smart kids. We were. We'll get into that, too. We were sharp kids in in elementary school. You don't want to shoot all your powder here. Everything's, like, later (laughs) in the... No, but it it, it gets into some some stuff I want to talk about later. Um, But, yeah, we were sharp kids academically... uh, in elementary school, you reference TAG, the Talented and Gifted Program, and that's that. And it's not just to toot our own horn here, but it's also that was, I think, our initial bonding experience because we were in all the same classes together. And then fifth grade, when the advanced kids would switch to classes like for, for each subject area, um, and then we had the Gifted Program together. But then the end of fifth grade, we tried out for like the traveling select soccer team. No, yeah, that was in. That would have been in the summer. Like I missed the very fifth grade. end of fifth grade. No, 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 no. Fifth grade, we played select soccer, so that would have been in the summer that we tried out, like after fourth grade, and then we did select soccer all through fifth grade. Did we? Yeah. Uh, maybe you're right. Yeah. I thought I remembered the, like us going to like fifth, the like fifth grade graduation like the day after we made the team. But maybe it was just the end of the year celebration for fourth grade. I don't remember that, but I don't see how it could have been because we did fifth grade was our first year on the team, and we had a fall and a spring season, so we were. Oh yeah, that's right. Because I can also remember like writing journal articles in fifth grade for language arts class about our soccer team and shit. Um, anyway, okay, so fifth grade then was when we really bonded, and then we were best friends all through middle school and high school. Like you were my closest friend. Yeah, absolutely. Throughout that time, um, and. Socially, like academically, you maintain a pretty high performance throughout. My academic and athletic performance kind of slipped, and we'll get into that in a bit. And then socially, like, I guess, how would you characterize us socially throughout middle school, high school? We were cool kids, but we, I think we kind of <laughs> had, like, like we weren't getting stuffed in the lockers. Yeah. And we had plenty of friends. It wasn't like there was anyone we weren't friends with, uh, but we weren't, like, fucking the hottest chicks in school. Or fucking period. <laughs> yeah, we definitely were. We definitely were fucking <laughs> at any point in that. Yeah, I lost my virginity fr- like freshman year of right when I got to college. I remember going to. I remember being apprehensive, like oh, I'm going to college a virgin. I feel like I'm kind of behind that ball here a little bit. Um, so yeah, I think we were the way I would classify it. I think we were you know popular kids, but we weren't. Uh, we weren't the captain of the football team. We were just normal guys. Just normal bros. 
what do you, how do you characterize, like, I also feel looking back on our middle school and high school lives, I also feel like there was a very overt, like, contrarian streak. Like, we kind of made an effort not to follow the traditional social path. Like, I remember us always talking shit about, like, going to homecoming and going to prom. And it wasn't until senior year, I guess, that we all really went to prom. I don't know. I just felt like there was like this contrarian streak about us. Would you agree with that or not? No, I would. I mean, I, I would say that's probably a little bit more of like if it was, you know, maybe a, an easy thing for, like, if it was effortless, right? Like you would have gone right to a homecoming or like something like that, or like you would have. Yeah, I don't know, but th- this why I want to get your perspective on it because the way I look at it in hindsight was like it was an option to like participate in social life like that in high school but I remember looking back on it and being like it almost being like a philosophical stance I was taking and the same way with like the shit I used to wear to school and stuff I used to wear like you know t-shirts from the thrift store and shit like that I was never wearing like you know none of us were wearing like making too much of an effort to like fit in yeah you just think you were fucking weird like not as cool as we I, I think we were <laughs> I, I, I don't even think like the way I guess the way like I think about it like looking back on like us and having to place it was like I remember having like a really, really tight circle of friends. Uh-huh. And I didn't feel like other people had that or that kind of relationship. So I felt like it was easy for us to, like, fall back on each other almost. Or, uh-huh. like, we... Like, it's easy to not feel pressure to do any of those things or to, like, you know... Or what am I trying to say? Like, I, I feel like it was like easy for us to do or not do those things or fall under that kind of pressure to do it if because we had like each other to fall back on. Kind right. Of. Like we were so close that it was easy to just be like, oh, fuck, you know, it's like I'm hanging out with Alex or like we're right. You know. Was, yeah, that's true. There was never like a lack of social things to do. That's that's an excellent point. Like there was we all we did. We always had each other. There was us. All, we, we were obviously very close. And we always spent a shit ton of time together. Um, through soccer, not only in school, but after school because of soccer. But then we also had, you know, probably like you know, five other guys that we constantly hung out with. And so there was never like a lack. You were never lonely. There was never a lack of like someone to hang out with. There was never a lack of someone's house to go to. It wasn't like you had to go outside yourself or scramble to like find social interaction. Yeah, I thought this podcast was going to be like you asked me questions about like current events, not like how we never got laid. <laughs> <laughs> No, I want everyone's. uh, I want the title of the podcast is Youngblood University, and the way I think about that is, um, or there's a lot of ways I think about that. Like why I wanted to call it Youngblood University. First off, I like the acronym YU, and I think about like why you need to throw a question mark on it. It's like why you, like you're being asked why you, and what does that mean? Why you. 
And I've become like increasingly libertarian over the past couple years. And I've increasingly placed less. I was raised very much by my mom to be self-sacrificing and altruistic no matter what. And that was the formation of my thinking in college. That was the formation of my thinking in my initial post-college years and the professional decisions I made. And in the last few years, I've gone away from that. Um, and I'm, but I'm still struggling with that because I don't. F- I feel like being more focused on myself, more focused on uh, my development as a human being, placing placing a greater emphasis on individual responsibility, not only the way I look at my life, but the way I look at like um, society at large. Uh, I'm struggling with that because it conflicts with the way I was raised, which is very much like communal and uh, a large emphasis on self-sacrifice and doing things for other people because uh, that's what my mom is. Um, but with, I want to get people on this podcast back to the Young Bud University thing, not just that I like the fact that it's like the acronym being YU question mark and it causes people to, to like focus on themselves like, oh, why me? Why am I here? Why am I doing this? Why... You know, why have I why have I been gifted this time on earth? Also, I like the Youngwood University thing because I want to approach it like every person that comes on is like a teacher within themselves. I'm trained as a teacher, that's pretty much all I've done professionally. But I'm like I've gotten to a point in life where I'm like, dude, I have no idea what the fuck is going on anymore. Uh I've reached this point as a 30 year old where it's like, okay, I th- like I have some basic principles of life that I think I know are right. And things I believe in, but there's all, but there's, I expected to know more or be like more confident about like how to live a good life or what direction to take in life. But at this point, I'm just throwing up my hands. I'm like, dude, I have no idea how to fucking live life, how to go about like adulthood, right? And so Youngblood University is like each person I bring on is like a professor at the university. So I want to get their basic backstory of life and then I also want to get their perspective on life and so us going into the backstory is just kind of delay the foundation of who you are and then slowly but surely I'm going to ease you into like reflections on our relationship but then on life more broadly or because I have a ton of questions about like how to go about life and so I'm bringing you on to like Hunter tell me how to live life or like what's your perspective on how to live life how to be a good person how to go about this shit you're asking the wrong guy (laughs) (laughs) we're about to find out Uh, but that's the other thing, dude. No, that's 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 going to be another common thing about this, and something I've discovered as I've entered adulthood is that, dude, no one has the fucking answers. Like, no one knows what the fuck is going on here. Or on this, we're in this spinning ball that's like flying through infinite outer space. And yes, there are people with maybe like certain experience and certain wisdom or certain knowledge and areas, but like, no one knows what the fuck is going on. No one knows what's going to happen tomorrow. No one has any answers or direct, you know, absolute uh, definition for what direction we should take in our life or how we should go about our lives. We're all just kind of winging it here. So I want to give get your perspective on how you're winging it each day. But let's get back a little bit more into the chronology of your life. Um, so we're in high school now. We talked about soccer. I want to get into soccer for a second. Soccer was a, such a fucking huge part of our life growing up, man. Like... It was I, we we were good soccer players growing up. Um, I guess we played at like the highest level. You would say, essentially, for what was there, more or less. About it, yeah, yeah. 
it was a major part of our life and a huge time and effort commitment. Looking back on soccer, and we're talking about during the clubs, it was two seasons, so club in the fall and then high school in the spring. Club in the fall was like two or three days a week practice and then games on the weekend. It got to the point where we were traveling to like, you know, we grew up in suburban Atlanta, but we were traveling senior year high school to like fucking South Carolina, North Carolina for games, you know? Yeah. So it was a major commitment. Looking back on the whole soccer experience, how do you feel about it? Because I almost think like we went a little too hard. Like if I could, I don't like to like focus on regret. I think every decision you make and every experience you have, there's a lesson in it. But like if I had a time machine, I don't know if I'd devote that much attention to fucking playing soccer. Um, I I guess I'm kind of the opposite. Like I would like almost would have played it more. Um, okay. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Like, so I without going like too much into it. So we played when we were growing up, and I got to fifth, sixth, seventh grade, eighth grade playing soccer and everything on the traveling teams. And then we got to the point of eighth grade. So I guess, you know, common theme for this episode of your podcast, um, you were my best friend. And you were on the team in fifth, sixth, and seventh grade. And that was when we were, like, hanging out constantly and everything. And it was, like, a thing where I got to go hang out with you. And then eighth grade was when you weren't on the team anymore. And it was just me on Peter's team. Uh And they brought in all those kids who were, like, really, really good. And I, that season in eighth grade was just, like, horrible. And, like, I never played. I mean, I would literally play five minutes a game, I would say. And that's being, like, generous. So, basically, like, not playing at all in the games and getting, you know, bitched at constantly. And, uh... It says I have a missed call from Chevron. I saw that. And a voicemail. <laughs> I saw that pop up. I thought that was like, I don't, I don't know what the fuck it was. Like, your gas bill's out of control. <laughs> so, um, what were, where was I going with that? So, eighth grade shit was Eighth grade, intense. never played, and it was horrible. And it was like, just a miserable experience. Like, I wanted to quit. Like, didn't want to play anymore. And then, so after that season, it was like, all right, I need to go to a different, like, I'm not even playing on this team. Like, it's possible I would have gotten cut from Peter's team anyway. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I went and played for Manny's team up mm. a year, and that was just a like... A year older. You're playing on an older age group. Yeah. And uh, it was like, that summer getting on that team was like... And I hadn't really like thought about it before, and it kind of took that like really shitty experience to be like, like, oh, I really like enjoy this thing, or like I'm really good at it, and mm-hmm. I love playing it. Mm-hmm. And it'd be like in the summer when we had those like first training sessions, just like going out there with like no stress and like, I mean, it was a classic two team. So it was down a level from Mm -hmm. where we were. And I felt like I was like, Oh, I'm the best guy on the team here. Mm -hmm. And it was like getting something back to me that like, I really loved and kind of like discovering for the first time that like, I really enjoyed playing it and I just had no stress doing it. And it was like from that point on, when I got there, just wanting to play all the time. Like mm-hmm. that's all I wanted to do when I got to like freshman year of high school. It was like I just wanted to like play soccer all the time. And mm-hmm. that was like 
I mean, the thing I remember about it was like Mbase was on the team because he joined when we were sophomores on Manny's team when we moved up a division to Classic 1. Yeah, Bosse was a kid that we played with who was from Sierra Leone, right? Yeah. Ivory Coast? Yeah. yeah. He was and an he, immigrant from Sierra Leone. He's and he, sick. He lived in um, College Park. Yeah, so tell that whole to, story real quick. So he used to side. ride the MARTA all the way in the mornings from at like 5.30 in the mornings from College Park all the way up to the last stop in the suburbs of north, not even North Atlanta, in Roswell or Sandy Springs. And then he would go to school there. And then um, he would... Not even, dude, because the last stop doesn't take you to school. So what did he do? Sandy Springs. Yeah, yeah. They had the bus come and pick him up there. And then I'm pretty sure that's how it happened. And pick him up and bring them to Centennial. So he'd have to take the train from inner city Atlanta up to the suburbs where we were... The train doesn't, like, drop you off in front of the school, though. I guess then the school bus picked him up around the MARTA station. I think that's how it worked. Around the train station and then took him from school. So and it, school started at, like, 8.40? Yeah, so he would get up at, like, 4.30 in the morning. Jesus Christ. And then take that. I think that's, a, like, a really early, yeah. whatever it was. And then take the train up to Roswell or to Sandy Springs, get picked up on a bus. Basically, like, close to, like, a two-hour commute, maybe. Right. Like to and from, so he's playing on Manny's team and Roswell is the club team where we practice two days a week, and he would, for when he joined the team on Tuesdays and Thursdays when we had practice, he would bring a change of clothes and come stay at our place, and then go from there to practice, and the next morning go to school with me, uh-huh. and then go home on that Wednesday and do it again Thursday. And then during high school season, we had practice at what four. And we probably got out of there around, I don't know, 6.37? Yeah. And then so... No, it was after 4. Uh, no, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking like work hours. But yeah, that would have been like 4. And then we'd have to drive him a lot of times to back to Marta. To Marta, yeah. So we dropped him to Marta like 7.30. And then he had a two-hour trip back down the fucking college park only to get up the next morning at 4.30 and do it all over again. But what I, what I remember about that and where I was going with this was that he, like, because he really loved soccer. Right? I was, like, growing up in an African country, and we would, like, just, like, how, like, into it and just, like, obsessed with playing I was. I mean, he would come over to my place on Tuesday, and that was, or Thursdays, and that was my dad bought the, like, this was before the English Premier League was, now it's on NBC, but right. it was on, like, he bought this like special channel to get it. And we would like come home and like watch English Premier League because the club team practices were at like eight, yeah. eight thirty to ten. Yeah. And we would like watch English Premier League or play FIFA or go out to the Esther Jackson fields and play soccer and then go to practice after that and i was just like obsessed i I just loved it like that's all i wanted to do is just play and like do it constantly yeah and you were good like you were really good and like i said we played once we started getting into high school and especially like junior senior year when we were back on the same team what was that senior year for norcross yeah yeah, we were playing at the highest level at that point. We were playing in what was the, called the Premier League or yeah. something. And that was like the highest level. You couldn't get any higher from a club standpoint for the fall season. And the high school season uh, was in the spring. And our high school team was fucking stacked, I thought. Yeah, we were good. We were really good. Like, 
we we could have what did we lose like the quarterfinals or something the playoff senior year we lost the second round whatever it was but anyway we we could have competed my point is we were good we were playing at the highest level um that there was um and you were among i would say the best players you know in the state in that in that in that top group wow i love this is like getting on the record here (laughs) (laughs) no but it's true our high school team was sick and you were were the better players and it wasn't, and there was no higher level, so it wasn't like there was like a level of competition above that where you had to prove yourself. You were proving yourself at the um, with the best players. Yeah, but I, yeah, you could have played like you could have done like the ODP stuff there, right, and been like on the like regional team, or right, the right, right. Team but the gap or... between you and those guys wasn't substantial. It wasn't like those guys were blowing you off the field when we because we played against them. No, teams. yeah, yeah, sure. Um. Uh, my point was so I was alluding to so. Y- you could have played in college somewhere. You might, you maybe not D one or like one of the top schools, but if you wanted to play at a smaller school, that probably would have been an option, right? Yeah, I got, I had some like just random small school offers. I didn't want to. I mean, I had like Hampton, Sydney, in Virginia. It was like an all men school of like five hundred students. <laughs> I was like not appealing at all. I, I probably had like two or three. Like I don't. I, I wouldn't even say they made me like formal offers. I had like coaches reaching out being like, do you have interest at like the lowest level of like college right. stuff? So I wouldn't say I was, I mean, that would give you a reasonable gauge of like how good I was. Right. Like there's no D one schools like knocking on my door right. or anything like that. Yeah. But you also didn't like pursue it. I don't even think it was ever any interest of you. I didn't even remember you ever discussing that as a possibility. No, I, I wasn't. I think by the time I, Probably, like, when you get, like, sophomore, junior year is probably the time you're starting to, like, seriously think about, like, I'm going to try and play in college and send out, like, tapes of myself to schools or go do, like, tryouts or something like that. Like, I was just like, I'm not going to do it in college. Yeah, and I would say the majority of the kids on both our club team and the high school team, like, the majority of the starting lineup probably was in, like, the same boat. Yeah. But it didn't seem like there was much interest from anybody. I feel like everyone who went and played like quit after the first yeah, game. like it was just like why am I doing? Yeah. Well, I feel like if you like if people went and played at a D one school, it's like all right, you're kind of like the man on campus a little yeah. bit. Like I'm an athlete at like a big school, like yeah. that maybe has like its own rewards. I can imagine, um, <laughs> <laughs> but but I don't think I feel like the level we were at was like not the super cream of the crop because there's no there's not that many d1 college soccer programs right. like we're, none of us were good enough to go play at like duke or something yeah, like that south like, carolina because those guys are all like in the feeder pool for the national team right. but um i feel like everyone who kind of continued and went to like elon at, or something or, no that was d1 but same story though but the guy went and played there quit right, right. it's like you go to these like tiny even the d1 schools like Furman and elon like yeah. those guys all quit like yeah it's like why am I doing this? Like, I'm, it's, I guess you come to like a decision point of like, am I going pro or, you know, it's like, why am I right? Like college athletics is like no joke at all. Right. You're doing yeah. like practice in the morning, you're doing classes, then you're going to practice in the evening and doing fitness like all the time. I'd imagine. For the- yeah. And that's something for kids, uh, you know, whoever's listening to this, you know, if, if you're a father or, or a parent of a child or a child yourself, uh, you know, thinking about that in, in high school, like, it's a fucking, it's a commitment from everything I've heard from anyone who ever went off and played. It's like, you might be playing D2 college soccer, but 
your regimen is essentially the same as if you were playing fucking football at UGA or LSU. Yeah, like, exactly. It, takes, it dominates your life. Yeah. And so you need to weigh that yeah. <laughs> versus like what you want your college experience to be. Yeah. If any kids are listening, you'll never go pro. <laughs> <laughs> Stop you there. Stop that dude there. Dude, I had that same, just a quick as I, so I taught PE this last year and I taught high scores. I taught middle scores and high scores. And you know, there's so many, you know, as a middle score up until probably eighth grade, I thought I was going to go pro in some sport, right? I remember writing an essay fresh in freshman year in Miss McCord's class in high school. And it was like this big fucking like emotional release for me to write this essay about how like I had come to terms with the fact that I wasn't going to be a professional athlete when I was a freshman in high school. But I had these students this past year, you know, some of these kids, well, you know, sixth, seventh, even eighth grade, I can kind of understand. Like we talk with these kids and they all say they want to play like pro basketball or whatever. But then I've got like ninth and 10th graders who are saying the same shit. I was so torn about it all year. Like at what point do I need to intervene with these kids or even is it even my responsibility to like pull this 10th grade aside and be like, listen, dude, <laughs> you're not going the fucking NBA. <laughs> like you can't hit a fucking jumper. Um... But I don't know. It's, so Hunter did that for Maybe you. Maybe you just pack him like every day and <laughs> in class and just like, what are you going to do yeah, in the program? Listen, y'all, if you're in fucking high school out there and you're not like dunking from you know, <laughs> free throw line, you're not going anywhere. Give it up. <laughs> uh, no, I shouldn't say that because I do think there's a certain value. And it goes back to what you were saying. Like you wish you had dedicated more time to soccer because that's that's the other side of the coin. I was saying I kind of wish I dedicated less time to soccer. But then the other side of the corner has been like, man, I wish I would know what I know. I had the discipline I do now as a 30-year-old, especially with like my physical fitness, to go back and dedicate more time. Because I think we both had the ability uh, mom wasn't to like, go somewhere with not that. Not to – like mom wasn't like I wanted to do more time because I was like I'm going to go pro in this or anything. It was like I think probably an essential ingredient to like being successful at any kind of – I guess anything you want to do. It was like, I really just liked it. Like I liked playing the game. So I was like, I want to play it more. Not like this has some payoff for me at the end of the road. Right. And I think that in and of itself, like made me better at what I was doing. Cause you're just, uh-huh. you like it and you're doing it all the time. Uh-huh. But I think it wasn't like, I didn't have any point. I don't ever remember thinking like I'm going pro in this. Like, I think the first time, I, like, didn't make ODP. I was like, all right, I'm not that good. (laughs) Or, like, I'm not, like, I'm not, like, that good as, like, those guys are. Like, those guys are insanely good. Like, I I think I carried that with me, like, from age 12. was like, I'm not, I'm not, like, the cream of the crop of these guys. Right. Yeah, man, looking back on it, I honestly, I never really enjoyed soccer that much, to be honest. Like, I like playing in the games. I like the physicality of it. I liked like the the um, I like like the athletic competition, but the game of soccer itself, I never really enjoyed that much. Uh, and I was always focused on other sports. Like I always really wanted to play football. That was the sport I really, really wanted to play. But honestly, every time that I would kind of go down the football road, what kept pulling me back in large part was our relationship and the relationship that we had with other kids that we played with. Like those are like my closest friends. And so it would get to the point where like I'd start playing football in eighth grade, but then I knew you guys were all going out for a club and I was missing the practices and like I was missing all the talk about like the the games, the upcoming week. It was almost, it was more of a social thing, honestly, for me, um, the way I look back on it now. And if I if we hadn't been close such close friends, I don't think I ever would have stuck with soccer as, as long as I did all the way through fucking senior high school. Yeah. Cuz dude, now I don't play soccer ever. Ever. 
I've probably played in the decade since we've graduated. How are we? 32? In the 12 years since we graduated high school, I've probably played an organized soccer game like three to five times, maybe. It's just, I don't like it. I don't even liked it. However, a big reason I didn't like it, and I want to get into this next, was right around fifth and sixth grade, and we've talked about this in the past, and I've, and I've gotten to a little bit uh, in past interviews. Right around fifth and sixth grade, I started developing horrible OCD. And that was right around the time I was saying that, you know, we were both successful academically and athletically. Uh, and we were, you know, we were at the, we were maxing out, you know, we were performing at the highest levels, both academically and, and, and in soccer. But right around seventh grade, when the OCD really started uh, taking over my mind, my performance both academically and athletically plummeted. And you referenced it earlier. That's you were I, really bad in school <laughs> and in athletics. I remember that. <laughs> But you referenced that earlier, it was like right on eighth grade, I didn't make the team. That was the first time I didn't make Peter's team. Um, and it was, I don't want to like make excuses for myself, but, and the same thing, I didn't, I got, I'd be in seventh grade, I had to be removed from the honors algebra class because I got like a C or a D in the class. Yeah, they did that really ceremoniously, if I remember correctly. <laughs> like escorted you out of honors class after you'd already sat down. <laughs> No, nah, but was going at the time, man. It was like I lit it. My mom tells the stories like I literally would just like sit there in class and we we're like supposed to be taking notes, and I would write like the word I don't know, fucking you know, I'd write the one equation, and then she's going on with the rest of the lesson, and I'm just writing the same equation over and over and over and over and over and over, and then flipping the paper around the same equation over and over and over because whatever was going in my head, I had to keep writing over and over. And the same thing, like when we go to soccer practice, I can remember times when like your dad would come to pick us up for soccer practice. Or your mom, and I'd be like, fuck, 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 fuck. I'd have to start getting ready. Let's say your mom was coming to pick me up at six. I'd have to start getting ready at five just to like get my shit together, get my bag together, get my socks on. Because every it would take me, you know, 20 minutes to do the right foot, 20 minutes to do the left foot, then I'd have to take them all off and do it all over. So I was fucked at that point, man. It was impossible for me to focus in class. It was possible for me to focus on the soccer field because then once you get to the soccer field, I'm thinking, oh, fuck, I got to redo. All I'm thinking about is, oh, did did I put all my shit on the right way? Did I perform the compulsions the right way? Um, My point is right around that time and all the way up through high school, that shit was going on constantly, these OCD symptoms constantly, Um, up through 12th grade, through into college. And you were the first person I ever, like, came out of the closet to so to speak with like uh about this mental illness i was experiencing before i ever said anything to my mom although my mom noticed things throughout my adolescence before i ever said anything to any of my family members sisters or any other my friends i can remember it was when i helped you and ryan our other really good friend move yeah. to georgia tech and i was just hanging out i was like spending the weekend with yeah. y'all in the dorms it was like our last weekend before i was going to go off to school to a different school and i remember we were walking over across through the tech campus over to Georgia State to visit our friend Lenny, who was going to school over at Georgia State because uh, he's not smart enough to get into a real university. And uh, I, I remember saying, like, hey, there's something I need to talk to you about. And I, it was the first time ever in my life that I was like, dude, I've got a fucking problem or I've had this big fucking problem. It's affecting me for the past decade. Like, I'm just laying it out there. I need to, like, say something about this. Uh, so that was the first time I've ever done that. What do you remember about not only that conversation, but did you have any idea as we were growing up together, middle through high school, that like I was experiencing some sort of mental something? 
I would say that the only thing I remember was being like senior year probably and either me or someone else joking because you used to have to go back and check all your card locks individually and being like oh like Alex is so OCD has to do that and it probably like picked up in volume with like once you notice one thing I guess it was like like having jokes about like he's so OCD but not having like you know like knowing even what that means or anything really other than like oh it's someone who has to like check a lock a million times right um and I remember the, what I remember when you told me was that I didn't have the like conceptual toolkit as a person at that point in my life as like an 18 year old to like understand what that meant for you as a person. Right. I think that's what like looking back on that and like I guess I've thought about it since that point was like or being like a more mature person and having like a wider range of experiences in my life with like other people or just I guess it's kind of like the maybe like poverty of my own personal experience like range of things I've known about other people like um you know it was like when I was 18 years old just like not understanding like I like I got it and was like I understood what you were telling me and was like had empathy in that sense but not in a real sense of and not like I never could but like not knowing what that would mean or like what that feels like to deal with so probably more um like a certain amount of like glibness to it than Mm -hmm. you know it's it's almost like you formalizing like a joke we would make it was like (laughs) Alex is so OCD and it's like you're like oh yeah I am OCD and it's like yeah no shit like (laughs) but not like not like knowing what that would mean for like a person day to day or having right. like the proper amount of um you know like respect or empathy for like right. that's a that I feel like I do now after having more experience in my life of like what that would mean right. for a person. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally get you. Yeah, that's a big moment for me, man. And just having that conversation with you was super cathartic for me cuz like I said that was a it was a turning point in the way I approached the illness because of the first time I had uh, not just like buried inside because yeah, like the things it was impossible for it to go totally unnoticed, but really dude for, you know, a decade, I did my best to keep it under wraps um, as much as I can because it, it dominated my life every second of every day. Yeah. I can remember one, you know, I can remember every night just walking up and down these stairs hundreds of times to like four in the morning every night because <laughs> <laughs> I just had to or whatever. I remember having to like go back, just coming home, dropping you off from school because I drive you home from school, drive me off from school. I'm like, all right, I got to go back and like do my locker combination 67 times and then like come back home. And it was a nightmare, man. And it got me to the point where like probably the worst was it got me to the point of suicidal ideation. Never where I attempted to take my life, but where I was like, okay, it's time. Like enough of this fucking bullshit. How am I going to go about killing myself, like, with the least, you know, mess possible? Um, You know, mechanically, what am I going to use? When am I going to do this? How can I do it with, like, the least fallout? And that was probably... In high school? Yeah, ninth grade for sure. And then I think junior year as well. I think senior year, I kind of started seeing a little bit of the light at the end of the tunnel because I was like, maybe getting out of college, maybe getting into college will, like, somehow help this. 
I was just senior, I was just kind of holding on to the end of getting out of high school, thinking like that would bring about some kind of change. But yeah, ninth grade definitely was 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 had some definite suicidal thoughts, and then eleventh uh, grade as well. I remember those being like the two worst years. I remember it's funny because you like you'd say something and then you think back on like all kinds of other stuff that had happened or like once you learn a fact and you like use it to kind of like go back and look at things and I remember at some point it was like something that stuck out in my mind I can't remember when I first like remembered this story it was like after you told me that you were OCD and I remember one time I was over here and I had spent the night and the next morning I was this maybe this wasn't OCD at all maybe you were just pissed about this but um you I was getting cereal and I and this is like I was a dipshit too so like I'm full like that's something like I'm trying to like reconcile with but I remember there was a I had cereal the next morning and I opened the box of cereal from the bottom of the box and open I mean it was like totally functional it was like the same right. thing but I'd opened it from the bottom of the box and like pour my it was like Cheerios and hadn't even noticed and um and you got like really upset with me and you were like so upset and you sat at the table and spent there with like tape and like taped the cereal <laughs> yeah, box at the bottom like back together and spent like 20 minutes like taping it all up and then in the bag too. I forget what you did with the bag on the bo- it's like turned the bag around so be <laughs> so the cereal could open from the top totally, of the Totally dude totally dude and it's like at the time I was like god this guy is like so particular about <laughs> this fucking guy in his cereals man <laughs> nah dude it's because if I didn't do that if I ate the from the bottom of the box or I didn't walk up we're, we're, we're recording this from my mom's basement uh <laughs> We're coming to you live from Alex's mom's basement. <laughs> Where we spent a, a copious amount of time during our adolescence. Um, I used to walk up and down. If I didn't walk up and down these stairs, you know, whatever the, the number was, or I didn't perform whatever, you know, compulsion that took hours and hours of, of my day away, I would, lo- I would lose something about myself, typically what it was. Um, it all started in fifth grade with anxiety that my mom would die on the way home from work. And so I'd have to go through these compulsions in order to ensure her safe return from work. And then it started to get into like more personal shit. Like if I eat from the bottom of the Cheerio box, like I'm going to lose all of my soccer ability or I'm going to lose all of my athletic ability. Or if I don't walk them down these stairs 79 times, um, I won't be funny anymore. And no one at school is going to think I'm funny, you know, or if I don't open and close the dryer, however many times or in whatever way, you know, no girl's ever going to talk to me again or something like that. It was always some like existential crisis that if this isn't done this way, like something is going to be lost forever, whether it's someone's life or some aspect of who I am. So you yeah, that- still have the, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing at like the compulsions, like the thing you're trying to avoid, like what do you still have? Like the, like the seventh graders like no girl will ever talk like the whole cafeteria like laughing at a joke like the <laughs> no I don't have any of the the any of those like irrational um consequences anymore well I'm the, not the irrational consequence part but I'm laughing at the irrational consequence being something that could like only matter to like a 12 year old like, <laughs> <laughs> Like, no girl ever talking to me again. Like, 
<laughs> no, I don't. I mean, I do still have aspects of OCD that like affect my life, but I'm. I've done a fairly good job, I think, in recent times, uh, like turning them into a positive, like being very disciplined about fitness and nutrition and things like that. Um, yeah, me too. But, <laughs> but, uh, but that's only when I'm on my medication, and that we won't get into that. But uh, I've gotten to in other episodes. There have been times since then. So it was a year after my sophomore year of college as I first got on the medication uh, and that really uh, that, was a, that was a total game changer and I've tried to get off it since then a couple times throughout my adulthood and uh, spiraled down into some, some dark areas but not definitely like OCD type symptoms but not in the same traditional sense that I was when I was an adolescent where it's like if I don't perform this compulsion it's going to result in, um, in some sort of like uh, existential loss but that's for another podcast um Okay, so let's go back. Let's flash back to... So we got into a little bit, um, and towards the end of high school, I was talking to you about like what your options were for, um, for potentially playing soccer in college. Talk us through what your thought process was uh, senior year as we are graduating, what, what, you, what you were thinking about your life at the time. Hunter was, just to give us a backstory because he won't... Uh, say this about themselves but not only was he did he have the option to play soccer in college he's a super athletic kid um but he's a super smart kid too like very 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 intelligent especially in like the sciences um so what was your thought process senior year about where your life was headed um actually let me lay the groundwork a little bit because we senior year uh, well, you take the SAT. We had all that. You did pretty well in the SAT from what I remember. So you had options. Um, and then we had decided we were going to LSU. Yeah. That was – we were both born in Louisiana. That was also a big, like, uh, bonding thing we had growing up. So we were huge LSU fans. And so we had, like, decided, I guess, summer before senior year. Summer before senior year, we took a tour, like, through the south of all these universities. Yeah. Uh, and we'd come back from that and guess kind of decided like, oh, I guess we'll just go to LSU, even though it was like the yeah. shittiest school that <laughs> on our list of potential schools. But it was just kind of like a childhood dream. So talk us through that whole process, thinking we were going to LSU or what you were thinking through all that. So I guess got to the point at LSU. So we were like getting very close to that point and probably, I mean, it was late in the game, right? That yeah, I, I think we'd submit our housing application and shit. Or close to that point, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I kind of pulled the rug out from under you, and like pretty late, like April almost. Or, it was spring break. It was right before spring break. Yeah. So I remember going down to spring break senior year, and that was like a big topic of conversation with everyone. Like, oh, where are you going to school? Yeah. Da, da, da. Or like right around that time, like yeah. n- like April, like no yeah. joke. Um. And told you I was not going to LSU. And I don't remember if I said I was going to... I think I was like, I'm thinking I'm going to go to Tech. Mm-hmm. You know, it was... And uh, honestly, like, if I said I had, like, a good thought process to it, like, I'd be lying. I'm, it was... um, Like, it's almost hard to say, like, with the gravity of that kind of decision or, I guess, like, where our friendship was at that point. Mm-hmm. Like... um that it would have like more thought to it or like the only thing that I really remember, 
not like I remember it all, but like what I remember about my thought process at, at that point in my life was like 18 years old was that was like, I was having so much fun, I guess our senior year, like everyone there felt like that was the first time we were like really out and doing stuff everywhere with everyone. Mm-hmm. And was like, I like didn't want to leave Atlanta. It was mm-hmm. like that. That was the only thing was like, and not even like in an entirely like positive way, but was like, like scared to leave Atlanta almost, mm-hmm. or like didn't want to go like away from home or anything. Mm-hmm. And was like, like, I want to stay here. I don't want to go like out of state or anywhere. And it was like jumped up on me. Like, maybe right after spring break or something was like, I feel like we had like such a good time there. And was like with all, it it wasn't like entirely rational or anything like that, but it was like almost like preemptively homesick or like, I don't want to leave this city. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I remember that being like, a like a hard feeling like I was fucking you over. Mm -hmm. It's like, I, I do remember like feeling like that or like it was, um, this is really good to get like almost like breaking up with your with your boyfriend. That's how. No, no, I think that's yeah. like an apt apt description. That's how I felt too. Yeah, um, it was like you're breaking up with your high school sweetheart, and you're you you're going to different schools. Yeah, and it was just like not even knowing like what going to college would mean or anything, or like you don't like any conceptualization of like you know what that would feel like or something like that, or but you know, being like, all right, I, I just, I don't want to leave like this city, like this place feels like home and I don't want to go anywhere else. And then that was, you know, maybe like even a cheap way out. Cause there was like other people we knew, you know, mm-hmm. going there. So it was like, wouldn't be like, I don't know if I'd have like the, you know, the personal motivation to make that decision if we didn't have like lots of friends going to tech as well. Right. right but right. that's, that's where my head was at like at the time when that had happened. Were there any academic considerations? Cause Georgia tech compared to LSU is kind of night and day in terms of the quality of institution. They are not. Re- I feel like not as much as I was probably playing it up at the time as like, I remember my dad and I remember saying this as like the reason, you know, it was like, I remember my dad was, didn't want me to go to LSU or did like, not didn't, but was like, you know, really cool on that. And was like, you know, my, for anyone on the, my dad attended LSU too. So it yeah. wasn't like, but he was cooler on LSU. Mom, right? My mom went all four years. My dad went to LSU for a semester, uh-huh. you know, so, um, after he failed out of Tulane, <laughs> <laughs> I hope he listens to that. <laughs> um, but no, my dad's very, he's a smart, he's dude. a super bright dude, actually. Um, uh, handsome motherfucker too he is where was i going with that oh anyway so he had to- he had told me like you know was cooler on lsu and that probably gave me like enough cover to make a decision that i wanted to make on my own probably right. but to not have to like accept responsibility right. for it maybe and just be able to be like yeah you know my dad doesn't really want me to go there right. and just not have to like own the consequences of being like yeah i just you know getting cold feet around like leaving the area where we grew up yeah and i don't 
think I've ever said anything like about that before, but that's probably the most like accurate where my head was at at that time. Yeah, that's the way I remember. I can remember driving home from soccer practice, I think it was, and you telling it to me and presenting it that way that like, yeah, my dad really doesn't want me to go to LSU. LSU. Like yeah. he really wants me to go to Tech. And that made sense to me. At the time, I was like, yeah, I was I was devastated by it because like you said, like, that was my plan. No, um, I, I yeah. Um um that's what I thought was going to going to happen. That was my plan. That's what I had planned on happening. And then obviously you're my best friend, so I was excited about the prospect. And I'm I'm different in that sense. Like I always want to go somewhere different. I can't stay anywhere for more than a fucking year. And I was already feeling that kind of uh, that inclination as a as an 18 year old that I wanted to ge- I wanted to go somewhere different. I thought I was super excited about going somewhere different. And then and especially going with my best friend from college, I was like really looking forward to it. Um, and so yeah, it was fucking devastating for me, um, especially too because I didn't have the same options you did because back to OCD, not to just keep fucking drawing on that, but it's a major fucking, uh, factor in my, in my, in my, in my childhood and young adulthood. I couldn't make the grades on the SAT. I mean, I made like a 1250, I think, or something around there. So like acceptable, but like I couldn't finish a section on the SAT. I don't think I finished a single section because I would have a bubbling routine for every fucking bubble. So I'd have to bubble it in, erase it, bubble it in, bubble it in, erase it. So my SAT scores were shit. Or not shit, but they weren't up to the standard to where like I was getting into... I didn't even get into UGA because you need like a 1300 at that point to that get into UGA. That was a UGA. hard school to get into at the yeah. time. I mean, that wasn't like... That was like... Yeah, but I remember for... when I didn't get into UGA, dude. I remember that was another time where... Actually, that was the first time... That was a first time where like I really uh, confronted OCD as like an enemy. Like, fuck this shit. And that was a big turning point for me, too, where it was like, I'm not going to be defeated by this shit. And I didn't go back to, like, the suicidal ideation. I was like, dude, I need to get my fucking shit together with this disorder because this is now having major impacts on my life. Like, this isn't just me, like, not making the soccer team because, you know, I'm constantly thinking about whether I tie my cleats the right way instead of focusing on what I'm supposed to be doing on the field. This is now, like, affecting my... This is going to affect the rest of my life. I didn't get into the state school that I live in. Uh, I remember that being a big deal. And so when I didn't, so when all of a sudden at the end of the year, when that rug was put on in front of me, pulled out from under me, I was, I wasn't left with like a shit ton of options. Uh, fortunately I'd applied to just random schools like South Carolina and they'd give me an academic scholarship for whatever reason. So I had that on the table, but I didn't want to go there. Um, and I also had too much pride to go to like Georgia state or, you know, somewhere near home um so yeah that was a that was a um a major moment for me and that was i don't know at the same time i never remember feeling i remember feeling pissed like god damn it i can't believe this is fucking happening but any but if anything more pissed at myself that i didn't have better backup plans um and then also feeling like that makes a lot of sense it like for a guy like Hunter, who was was really fucking good at science, um, like this makes a lot more sense for this dude. Like this seems like a much better like academic institution for him going forward. And then after about a month, being like, okay, like this is fine. He he'll he'll be better off there. 
in the long run anyway. Well, that was the ironic part. Was right. Like, I so, like, okay. failed out of school. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so that's the next thing. So yeah, so that was my thing at the time. Like, oh, this would be perfect. Hunter, he'll go to Georgia Tech. This is a, an engineering institution. It's a great school of science. Hunter is like this genius scientist of our friend group. Yeah, I was uh, But take us through how things actually played out when you got to college. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I didn't fail out, so that was the... I, I got uh, gentleman C's for four years there. <laughs> that was not a whole lot to tell. Um, I well, okay, go ahead. If no, you have anything yeah. else, I have okay. Well, what I remember be, think the first shocking thing to me when you got to Georgia Tech is that you immediately joined a fraternity, and that seemed totally. I that took me by more surprise than anything because that seemed counter going back to what the way I had viewed our um approach to social life in high school and college the way or excuse me in high school perhaps i'm just jaded and i have like an inflated sense of self but i in in high school especially senior year like when thinking about fraternities became a thing i looked at it kind of like the prom thing or going to homecoming i remember thinking like like we're above that or like we're not too yeah like too cool for that like we don't need to do that shit like we don't need to go to prom. Like we have enough friends amongst ourselves. Or like we don't need a fraternity. We're cool enough ourselves to like meet people and get to know people. And then I remember you joined a fraternity. I was like, "What the f- like? What's going on here? This is not the dude I thought I grew up with." So talk about that. I don't think I knew. Like I don't. I really didn't know very much about them. Honestly, like I I hadn't even like considered it as like a thing before going into college. And then, um. I, you know, it was like my roommate joined, um, Ryan, Ryan our, joined, our mutual, our mutual friend. friend Ryan joined, yeah. who's my roommate and he had pledged before me and, um, I don't know. I was conflicted about it and just did, you know, it was like, seemed like a fun group of guys. And I mean, it really was just kind of like a roll of the dice. Like, I'm just going to like jump in and do this thing. Like did not give it like, again, I, and maybe this was always the case. Like, I don't think I had like the same level of like rationalization around what we did or didn't do in high school. I mean, there was like, I, I don't, I don't remember. And maybe it's just like jaded with memory, but like thinking back on those things, or you're talking about like homecoming or prom or anything like that. Like, I, I don't remember like being like, have, you know, regardless of you know it's like anything said or not said about that stuff like i just don't remember having like really strong rationalizations for why i was or wasn't doing those things so that was kind of it was like you know it was like went there did um you know did rush and everything i was like whatever it's like a house full of guys that like drinks and parties and like ryan's joining i was like what the fuck like yeah and hindsight too dude honestly if i had gone to georgia tech not to talk shit about georgia tech i probably wouldn't have joining one too just because it's a, a totally different social environment than if you had gone to like an lsu or a uga or something like that i feel like it's if you want to like be around it, it's harder to be around like like-minded people or people with your same social the social life on that campus is definitely like greek life for right, sure right, not right. that like you have to do it to have a good time like i knew plenty of people there who like weren't in fraternities or sororities you had like a great time on campus like it's not like a requirement or anything but it definitely was like made it you know it's like 
just made it easier when you do it. It's like, what? You know, it's like, yeah. this is where like the fun is like, this is where people are like drinking and partying and cutting up. And again, like, I think before I even rushed, like I had very little idea of like what a fraternity was at all. Like I was, I think I was very just like behind the curve with everything. I think when I got to college, just in terms of like any, like pick anything you want, like right. knowing how the world works, like being exposed to things. So it was like you know just easy enough to especially you know it's like you rush to and it's like again a fun group of guys like partying right. and it's like yeah you know it'd be hard to turn down honestly because i remember even going through kind of the rush process with you that first week and being at some of those parties and it's like it'd be hard to turn down the fucking it was a great fucking time um what were even into childhood so think back to childhood and then going into college like what were your ambitions what were your childhood dreams like what did you essentially what did you want to be when you grew up and then uh more specifically when you had like a better conception of the world although you're saying it was still limited when you got to college what did you want to do once you entered college so start childhood dreams and then 18 year old dreams i i don't ever remember having any and I, I mean that in, like, the most literal way possible. Like, I don't, like, outside of, like, age, like, six or seven, you're going to be, like, a fucking firefighter or something. <laughs> like, I don't ninja. remember. Yeah, or a, a professional ninja. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I don't remember having, like, like even to this i mean i guess it's too late like i'm 30 like whatever you know but it's like even to this don't day, say that no, no no but in all honesty like i just i'm not um i'm just a very like not entirely but like i'm just i'm not like a big like i've never been someone who has like these big long-range plans or like these things i've identified out in the future that i'm like working towards right. or like like oh I really want to do that or be that or and probably even less so since I've like gotten out of like you know youth or whatever age you want to call that at like just no I just kind of you know in the river a little bit of you know where things go where they take me and not not in any kind of like I'm not valorizing it or anything like I just I don't remember having especially not in college like I was a biology major because I liked the subject and my only assumption was like, oh, I'll learn that and it'll work out career wise. But, you know, it was like not having any, you know, I don't ever remember being in college and like identifying ambitions or like, I'm going to go do this thing and be like, I mean, even, you know, biology is an incredibly broad discipline, right? I mean, it's like all kinds of shit you get. Like I just did like any class I needed for requirements. And like, if you were really like going to do it, you would kind of pick certain subsets of the field to go get like a lot more experience in and then go down that road of like, you know, maybe that goes to like graduate school or, you know, as a professional discipline of something like that. Like I just, I didn't do any of that at all. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I think when I got out of college, I took, I have taken like whatever job, is available to pay the bills mm -hmm. and i mean i'm here right now that's everything mm -hmm. so I, I you know I, I don't have a good answer to be truthful and i'm not being evasive either like i don't ever remember 
maybe I'm forgetting things that, I mean, there's always things like I really liked or like that sounds exciting or I want to go do that, but nothing like no major overarching, like motivating force driving me towards a, you know, a a discipline or a profession or like a thing I want to be or do. Mm -hmm. I get you. How do you think your life would have been different if we had gone to LSU? Do you think it would have? I don't think it would have. In professional sense, not really. I don't think I would. Like, great. Like, I don't see anything, like, looking back on that, like, I don't see anything related to, you know, like, I don't think I would have done better in school. Maybe maybe I wouldn't have. But, like, I, I think a lot of it was just immaturity, too. Like, I didn't get up and go to class. I mean, it wasn't <laughs> even, like, not partying. or I mean, like, I think my mom probably thinks it was just, like, partying all the time. and that. But, like, honestly, it's just, like, no motivation or that motivating force. So, I mean, really the only actual difference that probably would have occurred, I think, outside of us going to college together and I think that would have been a great time in and of itself but um, you know not meeting my wife obviously would be the only thing that which would suck but that would would be the only thing that did not occur that you know would be radically different from the road I went down right like I wouldn't have met my wife there and wouldn't be where I am right now so get into that tell us about your wife meeting her and I met my wife in college um Freshman year, yeah, I remember you calling me up the end of freshman year at South Carolina, and told me that you like were starting to hang out with this chick. Yeah, I can remember where I was when you first told me that. Yeah, um, about my wife. I remember from college. I remember her being like thinking she was way out of my league. Yeah, and especially as like a very inexperienced, immature person, like you know, and she's a year older. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember just being like, when someone was like, oh, yeah, this, you know, she thinks you're cute. It was like, like, couldn't believe, like, thought people were fucking with me. <laughs> and feeling like she was just, like, way out of my league. I remember you telling me that, too, or something along I really lines. felt like that. And, I, I mean, it was very awkward to, like, uh, you know, led to a lot of awkward situations because I was definitely, like, an awkward person at that point. And no, then, I think you can say that, but that's not true. You've always been, you've always had great social skills. You've never had a problem like interacting with males or females. Not with women. I, I really mean, like, I, I think, you know, not, not like in just like a normal social environment or anything, but in terms of like. Um, a girl you were interested in? Yeah, I think that, that there's a certain like, you know, you're not. You, you can't how am I trying to put this like I, I feel like you have to be like ready like you're not like a you're you know to like really be at that point of like being in a relationship with someone or um, you know like giving you know, putting yourself on the line like that right or like I have feelings for you or I like you or even not like just you know like a one night stand situation like there's a certain like readiness that you have as a person or like a confidence or a you know willingness to be rejected or to be you know undesirable or whatever you want to call it or you know lots of different things but um i i definitely feel like i wasn't at that point at the time when she 
had made it, you know, told someone else like, oh, I, you know, I like this guy or whatever. And like, I wasn't, I wanted to be, but like, I wasn't there and went through kind of the awkward motions of trying to initiate the relationship. Yeah. Trying to do that. And, you know, having it not go successfully or not, you know, obviously it went successfully. We're married, but (laughs) like not, not being able to like put myself out there or to, you know, be, um, you know, even with, so, it's like, it's almost embarrassing after that. Cause it's like, someone's already saying like, they like you. So the rejection component of it is like gone. <laughs> it's like, still can't why can't the, you like make right. the move or like do this thing? And it was like, just not being at that point personally of being able to do it or like not, not like comfortable in my own skin or you know something like that almost to to get to that point so we went through all the initial awkwardness way longer than it needed to go on with like a 19 year old man and probably like i'm very sympathetic to her um (laughs) but we you know we we locked it down and then I started dating her seriously probably after a few months of her probably being like, so like what a the sophomore, fuck is wrong with this guy? It's like sophomore year? The, the, over the summer. It was after the summer of um, our right. freshman year in college and when I was living home and here and going back to tech. Yeah. And, um, you know, God bless her. She's very patient. And then, you know, we started more seriously dating over the summer and then by the time of sophomore year we've been dating very seriously and I have dated and I've married her very seriously (laughs) since then and um it's it's been really good if I if I do impart words of wisdom on the podcast it would be um marriage is a very good thing um I think it's a very worthwhile exercise it's made me Probably easily, not probably, easily of like anything that I think of, like endeavors that I've done in terms of bringing me like personal fulfillment or um, making me a more complete person or something like that. Like, I absolutely think that that's it. You know, it's like that and the relationship with my family and my closest friends is like, that's probably that's like it you know it's right. like what else do you need from right kind of your human experience right just to have that type of connection with another person right beautiful that's exactly what i wanted i want to get into that but you've, you've brought us to it already when we got when you went into college well let me flash back a little bit back to high school and it's kind of relates not only can to i what, pee real quick yeah. for you? i gotta pee really okay uh so to kind of connect uh, our friendship experience to your the the words of wisdom that you just imparted on the listeners uh, about marriage, um, high school we like didn't date girls, really. <laughs> Yeah. And this goes back to like certainly was a contributing factor to like the awkwardness you were referencing when you first started sure. dating your wife Kelly or like not having uh, I don't think it's I guess it's balls confidence not even knowing how to go about it like 
we didn't date that many girls in high school. Like, I, we never had girlfriends in high school. Like, neither of us had, like, long-term girlfriends in high school, which I think a lot of people do. And I want to say that it's bad. I had one. <laughs> yeah. Okay, three, like, well, for, like, three. Not yeah, Maybe not even. Yeah, I didn't even include her. I know you're talking about... I, I, yeah, but, like, you know, it wasn't any... And me, too. Like, maybe, like, a couple months yeah. at a time. Like, yeah. something like that. And, like, what are you, like, you know going to third base with this chick it's like like you're going over and fucking this chick regularly or anything like that wasn't our experience and and once again i want to say like we weren't fucking losers <laughs> we had like we we had girls that were interested in us we weren't like the biggest studs in school um like we had options but we didn't we d- did not developed our like uh our romantic capacities at all in high school whatsoever I remember having the same feeling getting to college and be like dude like I'm gonna be learning on the fly here about how to like pick up girls <laughs> in large part that's because and I want to get your take on this we spent so much time together like you joked about it when you said about you not going to LSU that being like a breakup but it really was like you were basically my boyfriend in high school and like we and and so when we left, I think it did create this, like, uh, chasm and problem. And no, it did for me, like, this, like, emptiness emotionally because it's like, oh, where's my where's my boyfriend? <laughs> where's my best friend? And we both kind of had to fend for ourselves, I feel like, in terms of, like, okay, we need to learn how to, like, pick up girls here. Um, or hang out with, like, other people, period. Or hang out with other people like... aside from each other. Yeah, even, even dudes, other sure, dudes. Yeah. yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's a very good point as well. Because that's true, dude. Because when I got to South Carolina, uh, my freshman year, well, in large part, I was super resentful about having to go to South Carolina because I felt like left at the altar with the LSU thing. We're carrying this metaphor like a little far. Uh, but yeah, I was resentful, and I like I was like, "Fuck it, I'm not even going to attempt to make friends. I'm just going to make as good grades I can and get out of here," which is what I did. Um, but the point of me saying this. Uh, to tie it back to the whole the words of wisdom you're spreading you're giving us about marriage is what was your mindset growing up and through college about like getting married and living a traditional lifestyle because I have I never gave it any thought specifically getting married or like living a very traditional lifestyle like graduating college getting married starting a family getting a nine-to-five job i never gave any of that any thought until i graduated college and all of a sudden all my friends started getting married it was like when i was i ultimately ended up at uga uh university of georgia and graduated from there and then almost immediately after we graduated in 2010 my friends from college and high school started getting married. And I was left with this feeling and still do have this feeling where I was like, wait a second, guys, like no one passed me the memo that like college was like our final few years of childhood. And then as soon as we're done and get our degree, it's time to settle down become adults get married and like start a career in a family did you have that impression what was your thoughts growing up and then being in college about like the transition into adulthood because to me it like slapped me in the face how quickly people grew up 
I never really thought about it like that. I mean, I, I, I don't remember having any thoughts about it at all growing up or even, um, you know, it, it was very organic. It wasn't like any kind of planned thing or like, okay, this is like the next step. Now I do this or other people are getting married. I'm going to get married or anything like that. I, you know, it was, um, you know, obviously there's a cultural component to marriage. It wasn't like I just thought about it out of the blue or something like that. I mean, it was, you know, it's like a thing people do. So it's not like that, but I mean, it, it was very like, I've been with this person for a very long time and, um, you know, find myself like, this is the only person that I want to be with for the rest of my life. And now I can just kind of seamlessly make and kind of make that commitment to them. Right. So mm -hmm. now I can, um, you know, now I, I don't know what you would call it, like a formalization of it or something like that. But, um, you know, it was <clears throat> in that sense, it was very like, it was very organic and that's kind of the next step or that's what happened. And, almost like once I got married, it was like, I saw, I saw what it was for and it like making that commitment is very freeing for the relationship. It's like, now I can, I can like totally be myself for this other person. Right. And it's a very liberating, um, it's a very like liberating feeling, right? You'd be able to give yourself to another person, but like I can be totally myself for this person now. Right. And I can like the, you know, it's like just the relationship goes so smoothly after that. It's like, now I'm me, I'm not going anywhere. Like I'm not, there's, it's just us, right? Like we've formalized this commitment. We're together forever, you know? So it's, and I think once I got to that point, it was like, it was like after I got married, you know, before that, it was like kind of the cultural thing. I was like, I don't want to be with anyone other than this woman. I'm going to get married. Like, that's what people do. I love her. I want to get married. And then afterwards it was like, oh, that's why people get married. Like right. you, like, that's why it's, you know, 15,000 years old or, you mm -hmm. know, it's like, that's the thing that's how it seemed to me at least okay i find it fascinating you keep using the term liberating because when i think of marriage i think the exact opposite it terrifies me because i just view it as these shackles that would take away my freedom and i just got out of really the only real relationship i've ever been in uh, i've been dating this girl for three and a half years but constantly off and on off and on due both to distance and me being a fucking nutcase and that was the biggest thing and ultimately the reason why you know i'm not in the relationship now um is because i can't handle the concept of being beholden to someone else and not only being beholden to someone else in like the sense of monogamy, but being beholden to the to someone else in the sense of like I constantly have to be there for you emotionally. Your emotional baggage now becomes my emotional baggage. Your professional baggage now becomes my professional baggage. I, I think for me personally, it's like, dude, I'm so like 
In some ways, I'm very stable and very disciplined, but in other ways, I'm just this like leaf being thrown around in the wind. And so having to like tie myself to someone else in a lot of ways feels very much uh, like an incarceration. Um, so it's interesting to hear you say that, uh, that liberating thing. I will say this, though, in the last couple months since I've been out of that relationship, I do miss the relationship in a sense that I'm like, man, like things were a lot more clear. Like things were uh, I, like now I like walk down the street and I see like a hot girl or I'm thinking like, oh, man, like, uh, you know who's the next girl I'm going to hook up with or who is the, what's the next relationship I will be in or should I be like, should I be like trying to pursue either hooking up with girls or getting a relationship? It's like this whole other aspect of life that like is unclear to me and is like not settled. So I do see like the benefits in, in, in that sense. Um, did you envision like growing up? Did you always just assume you would get married? I don't remember giving it a lot of thought. Any thought at all? No. Yeah, I, I guess maybe I just think too much about everything, which is probably, you know, <laughs> huge difference me starting this podcast because I just have so many questions about existence. But I can remember... I, ever since the concept of marriage has, like, been in my mind, I can only ever remember being dubious and I can remember the earliest conversations I have about it would be in college where like in college people actually started talking about marriage and I remember even the first conversation I remember the first time anyone ever brought it up was sophomore year driving down the spring break with Lenny who we've referenced earlier who will actually be on the podcast uh next week I'll be interviewing him next week our friend Jimmy um who actually I would love to get on the podcast as well he's a really uh, I don't know. He's a he's a very smart dude and has some good thoughts about everything. Uh, but anyway, driving down to spring break, a sophomore year with them, and Jimmy had been dating the same girl since eighth grade, and we were now sophomores in college. And Lenny said, like half jokingly, like, "Oh, so when are you, when are you and uh, his girlfriend? When are you guys going to get married?" And then Jimmy saying, like, "Oh yeah, like probably once I graduate college and like get my loans paid off, so probably like a year or two after college we'll get married." And that was the first time I ever heard someone actually discuss it who I was a peer of mine. And I remember thinking, like, holy fuck. Like, that's right. Like, we're about to graduate. We're going to graduate here at some point, And then, like, people are going to get married. And I remember immediately remember thinking, like, dude, I don't think I could ever make that decision. At the time, I was 20 year, years old. And I can remember having conversations about married, marriage for the next couple of years, junior year and senior year. And espousing those same same thoughts, like talking to my roommates and my friends in college about like, guys, I don't know, like with this whole marriage thing, like y'all down with this shit? And everyone kind of, you know, espousing kind of the same things that you're saying now. Like, yeah, I think eventually I'll get married sometime in my 20s, maybe early 30s. And me always thinking like, I don't know, man, it just doesn't quite make sense to me. And then people telling me then as a 20-year-old, 21-year-old, like, nah, dude, you say that now, you're in college, you're used to this lifestyle, you'll change, you'll get around to it. And dude, I'm telling you, over the past decade since that like marriage became a real thing in my life from my friends up until now 10 years later than I'm an adult I'm even more solidified than ever in this boat that like dude I could never see myself getting married yeah I remember this from my wedding toast that you gave <laughs> 
Yeah, I wanted to bring that up. I didn't put it in my notes. I didn't put it in my notes. Okay, go ahead. Talk, talk about that. Uh, that, that you recorded? just heard it. That was at my fucking... Uh, what was that at the rehearsal dinner? I was the was I, I was the best man at Hunter's wedding. So the, only, the only thing it was it was literally that exact same spiel. All it was missing is a lot of crying as well. <laughs> I think essentially I came up with it like on the car ride over to the rehearsal. Maybe the night before I'd give you some thought pop. about that. The what? The rehearse the toast. Yeah, I gave some thought. I knew I had to say something. No, I knew you knew you had to say something. Well, I don't think you had to say something <laughs> i remember thinking either the night before or on the drive over like oh shit i'm the best man i probably need to i probably have to say something at the rehearsal dinner or maybe lenny had said something to me one of our friends had like mentioned to me, hey dude are you like do you have something together and i certainly didn't have anything like formally written but essentially what i said was i just wanted i don't know man i i can't go up in front of people and it's the same thing with this podcast i can't like bullshit I, I knew I couldn't just go up there, and I knew you would know if I did. more than, and, and really, I was speaking to you more than anyone. I didn't really care what anyone else thought. Uh, it was a good test. I'm, <laughs> I liked it. it was... But yeah, I remember I thinking, like, I can't just go up there and be like, oh, like, marriage, what a beautiful institution. Finally, like, Hunter has arrived. No, and I think essentially what I said was like, I've never believed in marriage. I still don't believe in marriage. I don't know. I don't think I'll probably ever get married, but I do believe in love. And I know I love my friend and I know I've never loved anyone like this friend. And uh, if he like if he's making a commitment like this to his wife, I can't even imagine the kind of love that is blossoming between the two of them. Something along those lines. And I was crying the whole time. I'm an emotional guy. But yeah, it was the same thing. Like it was, it was like, good. It was, yeah. it was good. <laughs> um I mean you can find that. Hopefully someone has that on tape somewhere. Um I have a piece of it. You do? Yeah. Uh but yeah, man, I still to this day I can't ever envision myself doing it. And that's not to say that I can't envision myself being in like a life partnership. But I certainly know there's just from a philosophical perspective, like there's no way I'm formalizing a relationship beneath the auspices of a religion or a governmental institution, just like from a pragmatic standpoint. That to me makes no fucking sense. And it seems to me like totally robotic, mindless behavior. Do you understand where I'm coming from that from that standpoint, like, Okay, why can't we just come to each other and be like, hey, Kelly, I love you to death. There's no one else I want to be with. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Shake my hand. Like, why don't, why do we have to have, go through this whole process where we're formalizing this either, and it's not like y'all got married at a church, but a lot of people do. Um, and I'm sure your mom probably would have wanted you to. Like, why do we have to go through this formalization underneath uh, the auspices of a religion or like getting it formalized with the government aside from like tax purposes that to me that just doesn't make any sense it just seems mindless it seems like drone robot zombie behavior we're all just kind of like marching in line and doing what everyone else does you see what I'm saying yeah I mean I understand what you're saying um, what's your take on it though I want you to push back here I would say that 
oh, why do anything? You know, it's like, why? Because it makes sense. I do things that make sense. I do things that are logical. I do things that make me a better person. I do things that are in line with like my principles as a human being. I don't just do things because I'm told I have to do them or because someone else is doing them. Well, you do. I mean, that, like, like what? You wear clothes. If I didn't have to, I would. I you try to wear to. as little clothes as possible. I'm sitting here in a tank top. I'm always wearing a tank top and shorts. And that's it's the same thing, dude. I, I've thought about this as well. <laughs> I've thought about this as well. If I did not have to wear... I hate wearing clothes. No one makes you wear clothes. But I would be put in a cage if I didn't. That's true. I only wear clothes because if I didn't, I would be put in a cage. So I do. So that's one thing I do because it's to my benefit because I don't want to live in a cage. And I think marriage is the same thing. I don't want to artificially put myself in a cage, and that's how I view the institution. Yeah, I, I'm not, like, well-equipped to have, like, a real... Like, I haven't thought so much about it, right? It's like the, the institution itself is, like, it's very old, right? Like, why do these things... Why do these things exist? Like, why are they so... Like, why do we... Like, what significance do things hold, right? Like, I just got back from, like, the Parthenon, right? It's a crumbling building. Why are you there looking at it? Like, what's the... What are you looking at? Like, what are you seeing? And you're seeing the the foundations of, like, Western culture, like, human culture itself, in a sense. Like, why are... It's like a nod to how far back the human experience goes. I mean, it's making it like, I feel like I'm giving it like a deeper significance than I'm equipped to defend. It's a personal thing, dude. No, but like why, you know, we, we, do you view it as like an essential aspect of human existence? No, I don't. But I don't think it's, I don't think it's purposeless. I don't think that it like, I think it's a a nod to like where we find ourselves today. Like the things that we do or our culture itself like flows out of conscious decisions people have made for thousands of years and we're at the point where we are now because we've like we've kept those decisions alive in a sense, or we've like, we affirm them or what they stand for. Like the world you exist in or that you benefit from is made by those institutions that, that are the building blocks of what it is, right? Like a, not, not making like a value judgment on it, but like, the world you would live in is extremely different if people don't make that kind of commitment, right? Yeah. So you're living in a world that, you know, because people have affirmed that decision or carried those cultural values down through generations and generations and generations, you're now here being living in that world and the benefits that it confers on you, right? Like the... I don't know how that's tying back to anything other than, you know, I I see those things as having value. Right. So you you see it in a way as like this is uh, 
like you fully participating in what it means to be a human being in society today? No, that's that's not really what I feel like I'm trying to say. I don't I don't feel like I have a great point. I, I'm not I'm not talking about like specifically with myself or like what it means to me or anything. Like I think the part for me of like I don't give it a lot of thought in the sense that like that's a thing people do. I'm personally willing to like I want to make that commitment to another human being and like culturally what we do is we get married and we make that commitment and we formalize it in a government or a church and that's what it is and mine's probably more you know just in line with that right like I want to spend the rest of my life with this woman I'm fine partaking in the cultural expression of that in the day and age that I live in terms of the value of the institution itself or in what sense I'm defending it philosophically I guess that um, I I feel like what I'm getting at is like it has value because it's like a thing that we've carried on since you know humans first settled down in out of the trees and went ahead and made this choice to like construct the society a certain way right like a direct line back to that point in time yeah yeah and it does make sense to me in that sense right it makes sense for me from an evolutionary perspective in terms of humans are so well an infant human is so complex and is so and requires so much nurture in order to reach uh, the full expression of our intellectual and cognitive capacity that it requires intensive rearing. And a complete rearing of a child, of an infant human to adulthood, requires both a male and a female in order for that, that, that child to reach its full potential, I would say. And I would say that's probably where this institution comes from, is that as we evolved from apes uh, and human, the human brain became more and more complex, we required both parents to be around for a significant period of time, years, in order for the child to fully evolve to its full human potential, both phys- to survive physically and then to develop its full mental capacity. So the concept makes sense to me from an evolutionary perspective and from a child-rearing perspective. Along those same lines, my uh, dubiousness, if that's a word, of the institution of marriage is very much in line with that same line of thinking, right? I come from a single-parent household, right? And my child-rearing nurture experience through childhood probably was very incomplete due to the fact that it was only one parent doing so. And so that's certainly left me um, immature, undeveloped, or underdeveloped in a lot of ways as an adult. And that's why I feel as a 30-year-old man now, I'm still like 10 years, a decade behind uh, like my cultural maturity or social maturity in some ways. Um, 
but it doesn't make sense to me like just going back to what I said it, like the formalization of it uh, and the fact it just seems very robotic in the fact that everyone does it at the exact same time essentially meeting their partner partner in similar circumstances to me it's just disappointing because I feel like no one's exercising any critical thinking in the matter and I feel like I've been very blessed and you in particular to have super intelligent friends who have the ability to critically think and analyze things from a very different perspective and who have creative and cognitive capacities that would allow them to just soar into every area of life. And yet I see, and I and I really, of all of my friends I've met throughout my life, I really would put you at the top or near the top of that list of people with that potential. And it's disappointing to me to just see, like I just see this, in my head, and I envision you in particular and a lot of my friends, I just see bursting potential, capacity, and creativity. And then I just see everybody just gets, it's like I see it shooting out like rays out of a fucking star. And it could go in all these areas. And, but then I see all of it manifesting itself in the exact same direction. And that's what's disappointing to me is I'm like, damn. I mean, that's cool. If he's ha- At the end of the day, all I want for my friends is that they're happy, right? At the end of the day, that's all I want. But for me, as like a, you know, a crazy person who just bounces around the world without any direction and just constantly questioning everything and who wants to walk outside naked in the streets, right? For me, personally, I'm like, damn. I really wish, like, I don't know, instead of just doing that, he had like put that on the back burner and gone and done something totally out of the box instead. And I feel that way about everyone. So this podcast and this conversation is just like me trying to wrap my head around the decisions that people are making and why they're making them and uh, what effect it's having on them emotionally and uh, their view of their life. Um, I'll let you jump in here in a second because I know I'm, I'm, I'm on a bit of a monologue here. But that being said, the counter argument would be you seem, and I've, you know, you've been a part of my life, an integral part of my life since fifth grade. And even throughout college when we didn't go through college or even in uh, post college life when we don't see each other with any regularity, we're still in each other's lives. You seem, you always seem stable, happy, and content with your station in life. And I cannot say that about myself. <laughs> like, I'll go through periods where I'm like, I'm good, man. But then I'll go through periods where I'm not good, man. And even periods where I am good, man, it's like, I'm good, but I'm still like not sure about what's going on here on this planet. So I guess that would be the counter argument. All, an objective observer could come into this conversation and be like, yeah, Alex, where have your crazy thoughts gotten you? It's gotten you like psychological and emotional instability throughout your life. And it's gotten you to a point where like you have no clear direction of where you're going from this day forth. And look at your buddy Hunter. 
He has a loving wife, a loving relationship. He's soon going to embark on creating a loving family that supports him. He has a stable job. He's, you know, he has financial security. Um, he's a happy, stable human being. What are you? You're like this rambling nomad. So that would be the counter argument. I know I've said a lot there. Just whatever's coming to your head now, talk about it. I, just, I don't think that any of that stuff, like, I, I don't think my, I don't know how to frame it. It's like, there's like nowhere to be or like nothing to do or like everything you're saying to me sounds like dropping like a pin on a map and like getting somewhere doing something. I mean, it's like my marriage isn't a vehicle of like self-actualization or, you know, neither is my job. In fact, my job is probably the opposite of that, but it's like none of those, those things are like in and of themselves and like of their own, you know, it's like they're a part of me or choices that I make, but they're not like what get me anywhere, like are helping me like be stable or do those things. I mean, I've, they, I'm sure, you know, being married has stabilizing features to it, but like I am who I am and those things are things that I do, but that's not like, you know, I, I don't really know what I'm, what I'm getting at there, but it's, you talk about it like a direction or I would go and do this other thing or like go be this other person or like, you know, those are all just hypotheticals or like these like directions I would or wouldn't go down if I wasn't married or like all these bifurcating choices of would you have done this other thing or would you go do this or, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm really like, for me personally, like just trying to be happy who I am with like what I'm doing. It's not like a feature of like choices I make or the job I did or didn't take or like the school I did or didn't go to or the marriage I did or didn't commit to. It's like those are things that make me happy. So I do them and I'm happy with, you know, it's like I'm happy with them or, you know, it's like... No, I totally get what you're saying. I totally get what you're saying. And that actually gives me a phenomenal... You could be happy making those same... Like, you could be happy or or not making those same choices, right? Like, marriage isn't like a, it makes you happy or doing this job or financial security isn't like this thing that makes you happy or makes you stable or brings you to this point or like... or closes off potential or like you're the person that you are and doing the things that you're doing mm -hmm. it's not a you know those those choices don't close anything off and they don't open anything up like if you were going to go do those things you do them mm -hmm. like a married person could still do any of the things that you're doing right yeah I guess maybe you wouldn't have the flexibility like geographically why not I mean, I don't think Kelly would want you to, like, disappear in Latin America for six months at a time and just, like, do, like, a Che Guevara motorcycle diaries type thing. Like, that wouldn't be an option. But would you do that if you weren't married? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, you, touched on, you touched on professional. You said profe your professional life might be the opposite of self-actualization. Talk about that real quick. Talk about your professional journey, how, uh, how it's evolved, and, like, what you envision in the future. Um... 
it's very corporate. I took a job, like the first job offered to me out of college to pay the bills. I worked in a call center, which was like the least sexy job. <laughs> it's like the stereotype of like a bad corporate job someone out of college would do. Um, and I've just taken like the best opportunity in front of me that I've had since then. I mean, I have a moderate amount of ambition. I try and do a good job at the job that I'm at and try and get promoted to, you know, the next level, like logical level of what that is. It's kind of led me down a path of, um, very corporate, like working in supply chain. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just like, I don't love it. I don't feel like it's like some fundamental expression of who I am to manage inventory, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's, it's probably, I would say the, you know, the best thing I'd say was like, it's convenient at this point. Like I know how to do it. I get paid reasonably well to do it. Um, it allows me to enjoy like the other aspects of my life. I, I, I don't put as much thought into it as I should. Like I should work harder at finding something I love doing more and then like going and getting the skills necessary to go do that. So I can, you know, that's an area of my life that like, I would like to go be, you know, more self-actualized at in that sense. Mm -hmm. Like I, I get late. I, I get lazy or like procrastinate with like doing what's convenient with a lot of things. If I had to be like honest about myself or my strengths and weaknesses as a person. Mm. So it's, you know, I, I, I don't mind my job at all, but you know, there are other things I obviously like, like more, I'd like to be doing more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always tell myself, you know, six months or, you know, start looking to do something new or really swing out there or anything, but it just gets convenient too. You know, it's like, that's probably the part where, you know, where I feel like I've chained myself to something is kind of like, you just start to get comfortable with like a paycheck and it's like, you know, you make a little bit more money the longer you're at a position and the perks go up at everything. And, um, you know, so going down kind of a steady path of just like, whatever I show up and I know how to do this job and I do it reasonably well and I'm compensated reasonably well and you know mm-hmm. just day in and day out right. you know so do you have any professional ambitions or creative ambitions that like are in the back of your head or that you feel you've put on the back burner do you think about that like no I mean it, when I got out of college I was very much like I'm going to go back to school and get a graduate degree or, you know, in, in biology. I mean, that was what I was really kind of like focused on. And my grades were like extra shitty and I took the GRE and didn't get like a great score on it or anything. Not enough to overcome a really shitty GPA Mm -hmm. for that kind of stuff. So I could have like, I guess kind of the decision I was faced with was like, I could really go like Spartan mode and, you know, quit working and make, you know, me and my wife kind of go down the road of, um, you know, lowering our standard of living a lot, right? Right. To go kind of chase this thing, but it's like not even fleshed out enough to like really go attack it, right? Like, I mean, it's just something I've never been good at is like really like, 
you know, identifying what that is and fleshing it out top to bottom. Like even when I was like really motivated, it was just like super vague and like, I'm going to go get like a master's in like some biology field, right? Mm -hmm. Like someone who's more like disciplined and motivated is like defining exactly what that is and going, these are the, you know, talking to the right people and going, these are the next you know, five, 10 steps I need to take to make that happen and going, all right, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to go do that. And that's just not a strength of mine. Mm -hmm. So just kind of like made some, not half hearted. I mean, I worked a little bit harder at it than that, but like made some, you know, steps towards trying to get into grad school. Nothing crazy. It was like, you know, the, the only one I got back was like Georgia state for something. I was like, I'm not doing this. Mm -hmm. Um, so that kind of dropped there. Um, and I didn't even have anything to go on. I mean, I was like, at that point in my life, I was like trying to just read everything. And I thought it would like, again, just to reemphasize like a very undisciplined approach. Like I thought for some reason that was going to like bubble up into like a thesis Mm -hmm. of some sort that was like, it was like reading, you know, just it was crazy like the idea is like crazy and naive that like something like that would happen like maybe for someone who's like a fucking like certifiable genius it might happen who could like you know piece together all this disparate stuff and like come up with something like that but like that's not me or anything that I'm capable of um I think you're capable of it you're a fucking smart dude and you talk about things you're reading you're a fucking incredible reader like you're voracious I've never I've met some smart fucking people through college and even more so post-college, man. And uh, I don't think I've ever really met someone your level in terms of, like their ability to just soak up voluminous amounts of written word. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. So I don't, I don't sell yourself short there. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a, a, a capability thing or a potentiality thing from an intellectual standpoint. I think it's a, it's a discipline thing. And I think you understand that. Yeah, and you have to, like, I mean, again, it was, like, I remember talking about dad about this at one point, but there's, like, the, you know, there's the, you know, there's, like, liking cars and being, like, a mechanical engineer, right? Like, you want to, you fucking love cars or you want to, like, do that or work on them in some kind of capacity or, like, you want to be a mechanical engineer, right? Like, you're going to go learn like fucking differential equations, which is like calc four or five or, you know, it's like, so in that sense, you know, it's like, I remember in my senior year of college, I took theoretical ecology. And at the same time I was reading, um, like literally at the same time I was reading the class was reading the selfish gene by Richard Dawkins. And which covers like the class is almost like is the nuts and bolts and the, you know, how the machinery works of what he's talking about. And I'm like reading this book and loving it. And it's like very intellectually stimulating. But like, I hate going to this class, which is like the calculus of how that works. Right. And it's like, because the class is hard in the <laughs> class that you have to know calculus and it you have effort. To- it does. And you have to, <laughs> you have to learn how, and the guy who wrote the book knows how the equations work. Right. But, you know, it's easier to read it and be like, that's interesting. Like, it's very on surface level versus, like, going to a class where they're talking about the exact same thing, but, like, 
how the math works behind it. And it's like, well, this is fucking boring. (laughs) But it takes that kind of discipline to like, you know, you can read and digest that book and get a feeling for the concepts and explain that to someone. But you're a, uh, what's the, I'm going to misuse the word. A a diliant? What the fuck are you looking for? Someone who like dabbles, right? You're like, you know, you're, you're just like, you're not, you could never te- right. You can't like read that book and teach the class. If you learn the equations, you can teach the class, right? right. Like so, that's kind of the. I feel like that's kind of the point. I'm, like I'm a I'm a read the book guy and be like, well, that's very interesting. But like, I don't want to go to the class and like learn right. how to actually do it because right. that's hard. Right. So, <laughs> um, I'm gonna get a little off topic here. I had I have a out of good narrative, and we're kind of coming towards the end of my of so last few things I want to get your thoughts on about life. But just real quick, I've never really talked to you about this before um and it goes back to something we were talking about prior to the professional stuff have you ever gone through in your life like extended periods of depression or mental or psychological instability no i really haven't and my like when i'm hesitate to say not no just completely like i've gone through points like when in college i feel like if i look back on it like where maybe like I was depressed or unhappy in a sense, but I would like, it'd be a disservice to like real mental health issues to right. be like, like no one would prescribe me medication right. for Right. It's like, right. I, you know, talk to a therapist or something maybe who, you know, help you. I've never talked to a therapist before. Like maybe help me sort it out right. or, you know, approach it with healthier ways. Um, you know, uh, Outside of that, like maybe in college and I think just kind of the whirlwind of that and what that was and meant and just, you know, the exposure to lots of uncomfortable situations and everything, like getting me in, you know, weird Mm -hmm. places mentally and everything. But outside of that, like, you know, no. And I I think I've been very fortunate in that regard. Like I, I do really feel like blessed that I feel like I just have like a very... I feel like my brain. <laughs> I yeah, I guess. Yeah. You know, I I feel like my nature is very even keel and steady, so yeah, I totally. just I don't ride a lot of like highs and lows right. and everything. So I, I really I you know, I I've gone through periods in my life where I felt like I I didn't have good like thought patterns or, you know, get myself into, cause it's easy to do that. And even, you know, on a low key scale, like day to day, you can find yourself going down, uh-huh. you know, rabbit holes and stuff like that. Just in something like, I feel like anyone could relate to. Yeah. And then, you know, just as all that, just trying to like tease out, like not having mental health issues, but having, you know, poor thought patterns. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that that that's what I figured, but we had never we've never actually really discussed that. Um, but I guess because it just hasn't been an issue with you. Uh, that's good. I envy that. Um, <laughs> uh, personally, so where what's the when are you gonna have kids? You're gonna have kids, right? That's the plan. Yeah. Uh... Probably sooner rather than later. Like within the next th- two years, three years? I would say, yeah, like the next, yeah, like no later than like the next two years. What are your thoughts on that? 
I'm okay with it. I, I went through a lot of like, I don't want that and I'm not okay with that. And At, During your marriage? Yeah, like even recently. I mean, and I've, you know, I've told my wife that as well. And, you know, I'm a very like cynical person about like the world and, you know, So I I feel like I kind of, like, ride that, like, or just, like, the weirdness of, like, feeling like bringing a... Or, like, two things. One is, like, being cynical about the world and how it works and then feeling like that's a really shitty way to be and just, like... If you're going to bring a child into the world? Just to be cynical. It's like anyone can... Anyone can be, like, a fucking cynic, right? And I am, so I'm not, like... but. It's like, what do you get out of it, right? It's like just expecting like failure, shitty outcomes. And it's like, why? Like nothing's, you know, it's like enough people feel like that. It it does get shitty. And I feel like that's kind of like the national psychosis we're in right now is like enough people have like convinced themselves that like everything's shitty. And because of that, we got a really living in shitty outcomes. So... I, I try and snap out of that and, t- you know, be like, be an optimist, you know, be like, it is going to work out. Like it is going to be good. So that's kind of the highs and lows I ride in terms of like, do I want to bring a life into the world when I feel like I'm setting them up for like a worse living standard than I had? Or, you know, mm-hmm. and then the other part is feeling like, am I a complete enough person to, you know, in, you know, impart, meaningful you know to impart like meaningful I don't know what word I'm like looking for life lessons yeah but that that sounds really trite like but yeah (laughs) you know but like can, can I raise a human right like I don't I feel like a very like flawed person myself so to like you know, to bring a person into the world, like I could damage them, you know, mm-hmm. like, and that feels like a really unfair thing to do to another person. Right. right. Or, you know, it's like taking, you know, like the responsibility of that or like, you know, wanting to not like fuck up a like, right. a person and have to have them like live the rest of their lives right. with like all the weird right. shit like you gave them as a child. Right. But anyway, so long story short, like I feel like recently like I've felt more like at peace with like we're all fucked up, like like we're all gonna fuck up our kids. Um and you know, it's all just like fucking it is what it is right like the the world is what it is and you can like check out and be like well it's going to shit or you know like hopefully it doesn't and you know like like have a kid and lot like godspeed you know yeah yeah man i I have no plans of getting married but (laughs) this is probably a bad combination but i have no doubt in my mind that i want to have kids like, I have no doubt whatsoever that I will be a father at some point. And I have every doubt in the world that I will ever be a husband. And that, for me, is, like, a big way. Like, how the fuck do I reconcile those two things? Do I just get, like, a surrogate? 
and like I raise it on my own? Do I like reach some sort of accord with someone that I do love and care about and who I think will be a good mother? And like, all right, well, we're at least in for in this for the next 18 years. Do I have like a platonic relationship with the person I procreate with? I have no idea. I guess it just remains to be seen. I don't have, plan on having kids in the How next two years. How do you reconcile years. the loss of freedom, not wanting to be married due to the loss of freedom versus having a child and probably even a greater loss of freedom? Um... I don't know. I think I, I, I envision the, the cost is the juice is worth the squeeze for me for the kid. Like to me, that seems like so much more of a joyous and fulfilling and meaningful experience Gotcha. to where like, I'd be willing to sacrifice my freedom to have that experience. Gotcha. With a marriage, I'm just like, it doesn't seem that great. Gotcha. Okay, I get to fuck the same woman for the rest of my life, but I get held down. Like the juice doesn't seem worth the squeeze to me. Um. Uh. Cool. I'll look forward to the baby coming into the world. Thomas said, "Hey, um. Oh, what does your wife think about? What's your wife? Has she been on board with having kids the whole time? Has she gone through her own yeah, like ups? Yeah. yeah, she wants kids. So she's always been on board with having kids. Yeah. Ever since you can remember having that discussion with her, she's never like." vacillated in her take on that yes okay cool religion you grew up in a very catholic household (laughs) uh you went through the whole you know um song and dance with all of that in terms of like ccd the like fucking indoctrination course and uh getting confirmed and all of that and you were I don't, I'm not. I'm not going to say you're into it, but like you're knowledgeable. At least from my perspective, coming from a non-Christian household, like you had knowledge of the Judeo-Christian back. I don't know, whatever theology. That's a very, you're being very generous to me on this podcast. <laughs> I really appreciate it. I remember growing up, the only person I knew that could like tell me shit about the Bible or Christianity or even Judaism was you, Lenny, who's Jewish. Knew of what knew about Judaism, but it wasn't like he could like reference scripture in any way or something like that. I'm not saying that you could pull out like specific lines from the Bible. Maybe you could, but you knew like the basic concept and stories and shit like that. Um, growing up, so talk to me about your development as a as a religious or spiritual person. What was your belief in God or a higher power, and how has that evolved? I think uh, growing up in the Catholic Church and having to do all that stuff, I kind of accepted the tenets of it, I guess, Um, for the most part. And I remember getting into high school and then feeling very – I think this is probably a very natural course of development for, like, everyone, but feeling like – you know, the, the Catholic Church was had some just really retrograde opinions on, um, you know, gay people and, um, I, and abortion and all that stuff are just feeling kind of like, you know, there it's just this anachronism that is just totally out of place or, you know, that is just on the wrong side of, you know, history to like borrow mm-hmm. that phrase or whatever. And then I think when I got to college and then doing like a really hard kind of science major or whatever, and especially like biology and reading like 
I think I referenced Richard Dawkins earlier and, um, you know, who wrote The God Delusion. He's like a noted atheist, right? Yeah. And then I think as I got really into that, I was like, okay, I'm an atheist. You know, I was like, read that book and uh, just a co- and especially I guess when you get into like evolution or anything. And feeling like super convinced in college was like this is all bullshit um you know the 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 whole thing top to bottom is just a big crock of shit and then i would say when i got i'm trying to think of like tracing the the intellectual development or like intellectual development like so i thought i thought I'm the smartest guy alive and the only smart people know that like God doesn't exist or like atheism, etc. Because I'm reading these books or like talking about these things. And then I read um, John Gray who wrote a book called Black Mass and traces kind of the development of like you know the the whole thought pro like where we are today from you know the time of like religion and everything and traces it to like political religions like nazism and communism even out of you know so he goes i don't know why i'm getting into this at all i guess as well so he starts with you know there's judaism and there is that's like the initial religion and then they're talking about like their religion and the Torah is talking about for the the Jewish people, right? right. The only they're talking about salvation for the Jewish people, uh-huh. and then it was like the really big idea was like when Jesus comes and talks about expands that and talks about like salvation for everyone, and this was like a very seminal development in the history of like thought in that sense. It was like a universal religion, right? It was for everybody. Uh-huh. And it had this notion of salvation for everyone. And then he kind of traces it through, um, you know, like then there's St. Augustine who writes City of God. And then there's, you know, he's talking about separating. There's the kingdom of God. And then there's earth where we live in. And that's like irreparably flawed. And, you know, it's two separate spheres, right? So how do we make like where we live, you know, holy or like that? And then traces that all the way through to, um, like, the Enlightenment, where it's like, all right, God is not real, it's science, and that kind of does away with God and comes to, you know, people still having this striving for God or for the the answers to the questions, right, like, the questions are still there and God or that concept answered them, but now it's been dispelled or at least the people think it does by, um, science or the enlightenment. And then that leads to like, but you know, we still have this like very Christian notion of who's saving us. Right. Or how are we, how are we getting to like heaven or perfection or anything Mm -hmm. like that? And then that's like, creates like the advent of these like political religions like nazism or communism Mm -hmm. is like a direct outgrowth of that so that was very formative to me in the sense that it it talked about because like 
and then he brings that I feel like I'm kind of like rambling but he brings that from like atheism too is like a growth of the enlightenment right and like all these projects for like how to think about the world and mm-hmm. what's going on in them and it's like when you trace it as this outcome it's like like atheism of the kind that like Richard Dawkins or those people talk about is like extremely trivial and just like carries all the fundamental assumptions of religion and Judaism and the Christian faith is like salvation it's but just does away with the whole like God and religion part and exchanges it for science or exchanges it Mm -hmm. for fascism or exchanges it for Mm -hmm. communism and that was like the first real like moment for me is like I forget when I was you know I was like 25 or something when I read that like or even younger but as like this isn't like this super sophisticated like intellectual proposition it's just like carries the same set of assumptions about the world it's just repackaged based on something else so that was kind of the first time it was like didn't feel like so insanely smart or anything just felt like a different kind of religion almost mm-hmm. and then kind of came back to you know, I guess the fundamental assumptions or, you know, I, I didn't come back to being Catholic because I'm not, but at least felt like okay intellectually with like approaching those things again and going, what is, you know, why is this important? What does this mean? Like, what are people talking about when they're, you know, what is the point of this, I guess? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, you know, where I came back to it a little bit or became like comfortable I guess intellectually like believing in God or something like that like I don't know if I do but it, it that was kind of like my start to finish on that it was probably a lot more John Gray than right. <laughs> so you still so you don't so then you wouldn't identify you don't identify as like purely atheist like there's no. there's no God this is all this was all horse shit no okay so you're holding open the possibility that yeah, there is some higher power that exists. Yeah, and there it could potentially be an afterlife. Yeah, and that like someone like Jesus or Muhammad did exist. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, because I think we were both raised in religious households. Yeah. Um, you Catholic, and then my mom was Baha'i, and so that was a big thing for me too, man. Growing up, you know. I guess I just because you know my mom would bring me to all these Baha'i things. Uh, it was just I was something like, oh yeah, God does exist. But I kind of went through the same thing. OCD prevented me from <laughs> cracking the books, <laughs> so it was more like discussions with people instead of actually like getting down to the source material itself. Uh, but yeah, I've kind of gone through a similar thing where it's like, wait a second, I'm like, dude, if you're think that God exists. I went through the same process. Like, you're just a fucking idiot. Yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. Like, how naive could you be? And then now I've gotten to a point without going, once again, without going through all the literature. Um, Edit out the part where I talk about it. I'm like, that's going to sound terrible and fucking rambling. I'll really listen to NCL, NCL plays. I'll really listen to NCL plays. But yeah, now I've gotten to the same point, the same way I view life in general, like pragmatic, earthly uh, like existence, everyday existence. I'm I've gotten to this point. Where I'm like, dude, 
there's no like prescription for how to go about life. There's no like recipe here for exactly how it's supposed to be done. It's incredibly exciting to know like, oh, I can I can like approach the second hours, minutes, days, months and years I have on this earth how I want the, how I want to. I don't have to live any certain path. I kind of now view religion the same way where it's like, dude, I'm not even going to approach like thinking I have any sort of answer uh, from an at all. Like I'm just leaving it totally wide open. It could be, it, it could not be. I have, I have no idea. Um, that's like way, way above my pay grade. But I want to get people's perspective on that, especially their evolution from childhood now into adulthood. Um, okay. Final thing, sports. Actually, let me pause real quick and make sure. All right. Uh, final topic, sports. Sports has always been like a huge part of our friendship. Um, obviously, we talked about the whole soccer thing, so us participating in sports together, but like following sports as a form of entertainment has been a huge part of our friendship. And that started, I think, at the earliest ages, like being LSU football fans. Uh, and then for our social circle more broadly, like just following sports, it's always a, was a huge topic of conversation, elementary, middle, high school, and even today. But I'm torn with sports at this point in my life, man. I look at it like as a drug. And there's, so, there's a lot of things in my life. For the first time in my life, I feel like I've developed addictions. And over the last couple years, I feel like I've developed not an addiction, but like a dependence on weed. I have to feel like I've developed like almost an addiction to podcasts. Like I'm obsessed with podcasts. <laughs> I listen to them constantly. I'm and obsessed like, with making good podcasts. Not making them, just listening to them. But this actually, yeah. me and Gage, I've had, this is not my first podcast. Um, this is hopefully, this is like my first real, real concerted effort where I'm like confident I'm going to stick with it. But this Honestly, me doing my own podcast is like my approach to treating my addiction to podcasts because I'm like, dude, you've been listening to these fucking things for years. It's time for you to like do your own if this is something like I'm, you're actually passionate about. And so I've come to this point with podcasts specifically where I had to judge. I'm like, I had to kind of reflect on them. Like, is this an addiction, an unhealthy addiction or like a passion I want to pursue? And I've landed on this is a passion I want to pursue, which is why I'm doing this podcast. Um, same thing with weed. Like, is this like an addiction or something you're dependent on or something that's really like making you a better person or is like an integral part of like your lifestyle? And I've landed on like, nah, this is like a drug that I should be using like recreationally or potentially medicinally if those situations arise, but not be an integral part of my lifestyle. So I'm trying to clear up these like addictions and or potentially obsessed obsessions giving my psychological history. Sports is one I'm really struggling with because it definitely was a passion of mine throughout my life, especially when I was like playing them. And that seems appropriate, you know, ages nine through I don't know 22 but now is like going through my early 20s mid 20s third and now as a 30 year old I'm like dude this seems like a drug and I feel like I should be treating it the same way I do like weed or alcohol to where like I should be using it in total moderation 
or in social circumstances and like probably shouldn't have like the ESPN app on my phone or to be like reading or lit regularly about it or listening to podcasts about it or like following like the NBA standings. Like growing up, we were all in on everything, right? So at least for me, like I started playing fantasy football in fourth grade. And then we, in high school, we were fantasy football, fantasy basketball, fantasy baseball. I remember we had a fantasy hockey league, a fantasy NASCAR league. Like sports were a huge part of our our life. I'm trying to get a hold on how I should approach sports. What, what's your take on sports? <laughs> I think they're great. Uh, no. uh, Being I, a sports fan. I, in all honesty, like I think that I've seldom had like the attention span to like really sit down and like watch that stuff. Like the only thing that I don't struggle with like sitting down and watching is like tech football and Saints football. Uh-huh. So probably those I, I would say in in all honesty, like those are the twenty to thirty, however many like tech games plus like Saints games, you know, twenty-five to thirty-five foot like sporting events. I sit down and watch start to finish in a given year. Right. I mean that, and the other stuff like I'll have it on in the background, like, um, but I'm not like just like I'll jump kind of on the Hawks or the Braves bandwagon when they're good and not pay attention at all when they're not. Right. And even when they're good, and I'm like, I could, I think I've watched one Braves game this year, like start to finish, right. and I've had it on in the background like thirty times, maybe. But like, I'll, I'll, I'll like turn it off like towards the end of a close game, even, and just mm-hmm. like go to bed. Like I, so it's just I'm the wrong person to ask, I guess, because I'm just not like. I'm not like obsessed with it or well I think you are the right person to ask because it sounds like you've dev- you've had a healthy your relationship as a to sports has developed in a mature and healthy way because back in the day you used to read a ton about sports I did and that's the funny part cuz like I remember y'all used to joke it was like you're like oh you d- you don't know how to pronounce anyone's name because you only read about it, you don't watch it, which was completely true, like, 100%. Like, I would say, like, the amount of reading I did about sports was probably, like, 90% versus, like, watching it was, like, 10%. So, it was, like, the only thing I was, like, watching was, like, football, like, really and truly, and everything else was, like, you know, not really at all. I mean, I... Right. So... uh, you know, I I've watched like some big games, but even, I think I watched zero games of the NBA Finals this year. I really like, didn't watch the NBA playoffs, I, but I wa- I did watch some of the other playoff games. But like the actual right. NBA, like the finals, right? Like yeah. So I've watched like zero baseball playoffs. I've watched like maybe one baseball playoff game like in the last ten years. I mean, it's like I just don't. Like, I've watched the World Cup, you know, it's like there's some sporting events like get my attention and I'll like watch them a lot more, but I just, I don't have, I've never had the attention span to like sit through a whole sporting event and like watch it start to finish. It's like, I don't, I guess Saints is like so integral to my childhood that it's like, I'm, 
I'm invested in it in a way I can't really like describe. I feel like it's there's just like a lot of childhood like memories rolled up in that. They're like I do really care about that and like I'll read about it and watch like every like I get upset if I miss a game or anything. Yeah. But outs like now it's tech football. I guess I like replace that with like LSU football because that would have been the right. childhood equivalent. But right. I mean now like growing up like all I watched was like Saints football and LSU football. Right. Like start to finish. Right. And that's what I, like, cared about and got, like, upset about for, like, win-losses or anything. Right. But nothing other than that. Like, I've right. never I've never gotten, like, that happy or that sad over, like, any other sporting event. Do you still read? No. No? You're the first person to introduce me to Bill Simmons. And I've never read, like, any of Simmons' stuff. But he's been, like, a huge inspiration for me from a podcast standpoint i love that fucker's podcast and like it's funny because i told you his articles are so bad are they they're like they go on forever right aren't they like super long he's just a horrible writer so really yeah we used to read his column regularly i mean didn't you used to didn't you used to like print them out at the tech yeah. library and like read them on the roof yeah it was sad like i used <laughs> to like get so he'd like print a new column and I'd go and print it up in the library and then go like, yeah, exactly. And like read it like later, you know, or like in class, like read the article or something. It was like, but yeah, he's a horrible writer. He's a great podcast. I love his podcast. Seriously, he's a huge like uh, inspiration for me doing my own podcast. I, I get so much enjoyment out of his. Um, I guess for me, man, the thing, I guess my shit was a little deeper it was like a more integral part of my life and who I was. The Vikings is like my saints, right? It feels like an it feels like part of who I am. And like I think about this season, I'm like, I don't think I can – I just need to take a step back from all sports. I'm not going to follow them anymore. And then I think, well, oh, it's easy to say that in June or J- July when football season's that around, NFL season rolls around. Can I really envision myself not following the Vikings? But then I'm getting like, man, it's like is it – that seems unhealthy to have like that big of attachment to them. And then also, like, I remember entering college and wanting to be, like I said earlier, I wanted to be a professional athlete and thought I was going to be up until, like, ninth grade. And then after that, I entered college as a journalism major thinking, like, I'm going to be a sports writer. And then I got exposed to, like, broader topics of human existence, and it seemed a little trivial. So I guess that was my first, like, step outside of the obsession. But even still to this day, like, what I've – I was actually talking to my buddy Mike about this last night on the phone – and the way I've come to view sports now is like, I think there is a direct relationship between the amount of attention I'm devoting to sports and like my dissatisfaction with my current life circumstance. And so what I'm think I like the way I kind of view it now is I'm using my attention to sports as a barometer for like how I'm doing in my own life. So if I'm watching like ever, I can never envision myself watching like I would in the, when I was a kid, but like if I'm watching regular season NBA basketball, which I haven't done in years, then like I'm probably not pursuing like things that are more meaningful in my own life. And I should probably, that should probably serve as a wake up call or even like this past year where I was really dissatisfied with my job. I did like not like my job. I was really uncertain about the relationship I was in. I was smoking too much weed, which you know was a, ha- a coping mechanism for my dissat- dissatisfaction of the other areas of my life. But then right along with the weed smoking is the other drug addiction, I think, which is the sports. I'm watching like 
every single NFL game. I got like the NFL game pass. I'm watching all the games like in condensed version. Um, uh, the NBA playoffs come along and I'm watching like every round of the NBA playoffs. And then if it was a big wake up call, like school ended this year and NBA free agency started. And I'm like reading about like all of the latest signings in NBA free agency. And I knew like I was leaving my job. I knew I really wanted to start this podcast. I knew I was like kind of embarking on this new chapter in my life. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? This is just like old habit for like, it's this comfort zone. We're like, I need a distraction from like the real world. I'm going to open the ESPN app and like go through the latest signings of NBA free agency. So anyway, I want to get your take on that because I really do feel like my relationship with sports is something that I'm trying to get a hold of and I need to view as like a drug. I'm going to use it in like social circumstances when that's like going on, but I don't need to be like, it doesn't need to be a part of my daily existence. Yeah. I'm just like, I, not cause I don't want to, but like I, I just can't like watch. Well, I guess I can. I mean, I do. But like when I sit there and I watch, like for NF on those like NFL Sundays when I like wake up and watch it, like watch the pregames and then like one to like like at the end of the day, I'm like I've been watching TV for like eight hours today. Dude. Like I feel like shit. Like and it feels like I burned like a whole day of my life. Dude, like, dude, I hear you a thousand percent. This past NFL season, man, I look back on it with like. Like, shame. <laughs> like, I, every single NFL Sunday, there I was, like, huddled up in my tiny little, like, one-bedroom apartment watching from 1 p.m. kickoff till, like, I fell asleep watching the Sunday night game. Like, that's literally an entire day. That's 17 Sundays. <laughs> Just, like, up in flames, um, you know, by myself. It would be one thing if I were doing it like a social context, like, you know, out at a bar with friends or at someone's house. But anyway, all right. One day on that kind of more trivial note, but important to uh, – it it's been an important part of our relationship our entire lives, and I'm still kind of uh, wrestling with how to deal with it. It has. I was thinking about MLB The Show the other day because I was like, that had the sweetest of like any sports game when – You'd hit a home run and the camera angle would yeah. change for a second. You're like, holy shit. Yes. That's another thing, dude. Talk about wasted time. The amount of time we didn't get into video games, but the amount of time I only, we only, I only played sports video games, but the amount of time dedicated to playing MLB, the show, FIFA, Madden, any of that shit, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> hours upon hours. All right, brother. I appreciate you coming in here. Um, I love you to death. Um, you always be the brother to me, and I wanted you to be the first non-family member to be on this podcast. So thank you. I'm glad to be here. I, I want to be like a recurring guest. I'd like to. No, let's I'd do like it. I think it'd be awesome. In. Yeah, we gotta like. Eventually, this eventually, like he came in here. You said off the top, like, oh, I thought you were gonna bring in here, bring me in here to talk about current events. That's the plan. Like I'm laying, I've laid the foundation with like my family to begin with, to like kind of me kind of figure out who the fuck I am. And then now moving into like my closest friendships throughout life. And there's going to be about seven of y'all where I'm just kind of like laying the foundation of like, I don't know, a vision or a philosophy. Just talk about things with people I know best. But yeah, once I get like all of these closest friends out of the way, that's what I want to do. I want to bring on like Simmons does with like Joe House and Cousin Sal and all that shit. Bring on like my friends and people whose opinions I respect to like just shoot the shit about the world. Yeah, you, got, you should have like multiple people in the yeah. like round table. That'd be funny as hell. No, for sure. All right, man. Thank you, brother. Yep. Two and a half hours. Damn.